morning. We, How are you? I'm good. How are you? We haven't done this forever. Oh, it seems like weeks. Oh, it seems like at least a week. At least, I think it's been three weeks. It's crazy. Well, it's bits. I know it's been at least two weeks because I've been gone for two weeks. So. Yeah, and then probably a week before that. Yeah, so about three weeks. Should we do this? Yeah, yeah it's been it's been a while. Should we do this all in French? We may we may we. And uh, I really just want to ask you about your towels and what you're doing <laughs> with them. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that. That's a te- that's a teaser. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's teasing me. I'm teasing. It is. It is. You're, you, it's you and civility uh, are the things that I'm I'm thinking about. Um, so, I'm always thinking about civility. Always, always, always. Um, so I, uh, yeah. So it's it, it's those three weeks have gone by very quickly for mm. for me. Um, there's lots of stuff I want to want to talk about, but I before I get um, too far into um, food safety stuff, I want to know about your trip. Tell us about your trip. <laughs> How was it? How was the um, cruise? <laughs> Uh, it was it was uh, cruisy. It was cruisy. Um, See, I don't even know what that means. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, no, it, it was it was it was really cool. So, um, uh, and I, um, you know, it's interesting because they it's a cult, right? I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's a cult. And um, there are they have something called the Repeat Offenders Club. Uh, and the, one of the first things they ask you when you get on the boat is how many, and they get you assembled as a group, is how many of you have ever been on a cruise before how, how many of you have ever been on one at least one cruise and a lot of hands go up and then they play that game you know where they go up to higher and higher numbers of cruises and finally we had somebody on our cruise that had been on nine other cruises Whoa. um that's like so the 50 years at iafp how many yeah how many yeah yeah it's the same it's, it's 60 it's, years. It's, it's the same thing which is also also a cult um that's true. but but um but it's a good cult and we and we just elected a new leader <laughs> We do, the now and just to be clear, we're talking about the IFP leader, yeah. not the cruise, not the cruise uh, cult leader. Now, it's fine. They might have elected a new one too, but yes, I segued there. Very good. Now, you, I, you, you, you're, you're keeping up with me. I'm zigging. I'm zagging. You know, you're keeping up. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, we did. We elected a new leader of uh, of IFP. Uh, someone who we know, friend of the show, Michelle Daniluk. Congratulations uh, to Michelle. Double double bells on that one. Um, and, uh, the, so, I mean, for those of you who are new to the podcast, uh, IAFP, what Don and I are talking about is the International Association for Food Protection, which, uh, is the food safety cult that he and I are in. Um, it's the cult that, uh, <laughs> that I'm sure David Tharp, when he listens to this, will love that we refer to it as that. Um, it's how you and I met, uh, each other, uh, how I know everybody that I know in food safety pretty much. Um, and I'm very, uh, I'm really, really excited for, for Michelle. You have been the leader of the, of the cult, um, friend of the podcast who we talk about a lot, who downloads the show and never, never listens. Uh, Linda Harris, uh, has also been, uh, the leader and, uh, and Ka- Callie Neal, who shares our podcast with her class is, yes. is the, is the, is the current or will be that will be the president, the incoming president. So. We, there's so many, so many people. There's one person who we know who has not been leader, who has not made it to an IAFP meeting for a while, um, in protest of not being leader. Um, who's been a, a podcast guest, and we'll we'll leave we'll leave this individual nameless. Um, but uh, but he's making a triumphant return to IAFP this year in in Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Uh, I think it's all of those things. Um, and, uh, yeah, Louisville. I think it's pronounced Louisville, St. Louisville. 
Um, yeah, so so it's it's exciting. It's exciting times. Um, I really um, I'm excited for knowing um, at least three um, uh, folks well enough to get invited to um, the president suite to to drink like wine and stuff and bourbon. Um, and I'm excited for um, for Michelle to uh, serve like Moosehead and Kokanee beer um, from from Canada, where we're from, because I think that's what she's going to have to do. So cool, yeah. Um, so okay, so, cru- so, so, so cruising yeah, so was good. Cru- cruising was good. It was. I mean, you know, France is amazing. Um, seriously, I mean, you know, with all with all seriousness, the Viking people they do a really nice job. I mean, it's really and it's not cheap, right? It's an it's an expensive proposition to go on a cruise. But we we've been wanting to do one for a while. We generally don't take vacation vacations. They're always associated with some sort of a work thing. Actually, did that for this one too because not only did did we go on a Viking River cruise, but I also went to the IAFP Europe meeting in Nantes, France, which is also in France, um, and where where I saw a friend of the show, uh, Linda, Pod- Linda Podcast. Linda Podcast. <laughs> Linda Podcast. Linda. Yep. It's like Captain Marvel, but for podcasts. Linda Podcast. Um, all right. This is good. This um, is good. So anyway, this is back be to a good it. one, man. Um, yeah. So so I mean, it was it, you know the, the the cruise was really nice. The um, the food was amazing. The people, the the service, the service staff on the cruise was amazing. The the tours, the side tours were amazing. The 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 the, the boat itself was quite was quite cool. Uh, we cruised up the Rhone River. We went through locks where you know the water level changes. That's just that, that was just really interesting from an engineering perspective. We met some nice people. Um, and yeah, it was really, it was just, you know, all in all, it was just a good, it was just a good, a good fun trip. Uh, got to spend some, you know, we, we flew into Paris, we changed, uh, we, we spent a night in Paris. We took the, oh, where we spent a night in Paris where we walked around and saw the Notre Dame Cathedral before it burned down, um, which was, which was weird. Um, and yeah, then, I didn't um, even think to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we walked by it and took pictures of it. And then we walked by it again on the, on our way back through Paris and it had burned down in the meantime. And, oh. and we took pictures of that as well. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah, like, it was, yeah. That's crazy. So how, yeah. long, okay. So, so how long before the, um, the burning, uh, were you there? Well, we were we were there literally the like the Saturday before yeah. and like the Sunday after. That's crazy. I'm, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was it was wild. So did um, you, now, did you post your? I didn't see your pictures on on Facebook where you posted um, when when it was on fire. Hey, I've been there too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those, well, I don't I, see those. I've, I've been I, looking. I might. I, I think I might have posted one, but after the uh, the public uh, the public shaming on uh, the Dubai Friday podcast, um, I, I refrain from any additional um, um, sharing. But yeah. Oh, um, sorry for for the for for everybody for my jokes. Um, so oh, that's that's cool. Um, what uh, you you've been to France like multiple times before, right? Like this wasn't I, your first. I, I have. This was trip. this was by far my longest trip, and I would say it is was by far like the most you know uh, um, like one of the nice things they do on the cruise is they always have a like a a, a a menu a dinner menu in the typical French style where you have an entree which is what what we would call an appetizer a main meal and a dessert all and they're all themed and the, so they had like you know various we're, we're cruising through Provence and so there are various um, you know meals themed around wherever we were for that particular day. And they were really nice. So ate, ate a lot of good food, had, had, had a, a bunch of really good French wine and just was, yeah, just, just an amazing, amazing, uh, trip. So, um, that's awesome. 
Yeah, had a good, had a really good time. Good to be back. Uh, long, long, long day. Um, it was a long day. Friday, we the meeting finished. We took the train back to Paris. We took the subway out to the airport where we got a room, and then got up the next morning and then um, flew home. And so, yeah, just just a long, long day. Uh, Friday and Saturday, but it's yeah, it's good to be home. Back in the routine. Good to see the dogs again. Oh my God, the the, the kennel bill. Just, oh my gosh! Just yes. the kennel bill is exorbitant, and and but, it's uh, and you can't just leave them. Can't leave those dogs by themselves for two for two weeks. Uh, no, that wouldn't be good. That'd be that bad. Be that would be really bad. bad. Very bad. Yeah. Um, they're not like uh, I think with cats, you can leave them for like a few days, and you just put a bunch of food there, yeah. and they'll just eat it. My that would not if I if I put like a week's worth of food for the dog, it would be gone in the first like forty five minutes. And then, uh, yeah, you can't can't do that. Kennels kennels are good. Got to take care of those dogs. Um, I uh, so while you were uh, gallivanting and, and traipsing through Provence, um, as as you uh, gallivanting and traipsing and traipsing both, both of them, yeah, both of those. Um, I was I was out there doing uh, yeoman's work uh, in the world of food safety, Don. Um, <laughs> yeoman's work. <laughs> Like I got a lot of I got a lot of words today. Got a lot of words. Yeoman, a lot of yeoman's work. And uh, so so last week, um, well, uh, before you you came back, I went to um, the uh, Tennessee Food Safety and Defense Task Force um, annual education conference meeting. I think that's the mm. the official um, uh, uh, title. And I, I was invited by um, uh, a guy, DJ Irving, who I had not. Um, I, we had not met before. Is he a rapper? He's so he's the DJ. Yeah, DJ DJ Irving. Uh, like uh, named after Julius Irving, Doctor J, D, DJ Doctor J. Uh, he's not not a rapper um, as, as as far as I know, uh, but uh, is at the um, Tennessee Department of Health, and so I went and, and gave a, a talk on um, employee food safety stuff. But I want to tell you two things that that happened that are podcast related. Number one mm-hmm. is. Um, I met a, I met a new listener, not a new listener. I met for the first time a listener who's been listening for a while, um, and uh, he introduced me introduced himself to me at the back of the room during a break before I talked. And he said, "Hey, I just want to introduce myself." Um, he's like, "I'm not sure what my deep name's going to be," um, mm. and what we settled on was Deep Cajun. Well, that's what mm. I what I settled mm. on Deep Ca- Deep Cajun. Although he does not live in New Orleans, um, and. Uh, and, and so uh, he said, um, "Hey, where's your baseball cap?" Which which is oh, the true nice. like that's that's reaching yeah deep, that's right? deep yeah. So it goes into the uh, um, you know me me on the road. I just want to wear a baseball cap all the time. Um, and so so we chatted and uh, and we got a selfie and that was that was super cool. Um, and then the so something weird happened though, and it had nothing to do with deep deep Cajun, but. During and I, I texted you this, but I wanted to I wanted to tell yeah. the story. Yep. Dur- during the intro to my talk, um, you know, you, you got a you got a bio, right? I got a bio. We all have these pre pre written mm-hmm. bios. Someone's like, "Hey, how can we introduce you?" And so a few years ago, I got I thought I got like clever and and witty, and I wrote a bio. Actually, I have a I've got a, a text expander shortcut for it. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me read uh, the bio because I'm going to retire it. So that's why I'm. Um, mm. I'm changing it because I've, I've used it now for three or four years. Um, uh, ben Chapman, blah, blah, blah. Um, as a teenager, a Saturday afternoon viewing of the classic cable movie Outbreak sparked his interest in pathogens and public health uh, with the goal of less, less foodborne illness. His group designs, implements, evaluates food safety strategies. I use this term reality-based research in here, and we talked about that. Anyway, 
Um, in in this uh, bio, uh, the last sentence starts, Ben co-hosts a week, bi-weekly podcast called Food Safety Talk. And let me tell you what happened for the first time ever, 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 and this is the nerdiest thing ever, is that when someone – when my bio was read and, and the mention of Food Safety Talk happened, about eight people clapped and I heard a woo. Wow. <laughs> I, and it was – let me tell you. So I – it, it was cool, um, but also it was a little like embarrassing, or not. And maybe embarrassing is not the right word, but it made me a little uncomfortable because I was like, "Oh, this is a weird thing that we've created here, where we we have some notoriety because of this podcast." And now I don't know about you, but I feel way more pressure giving these talks because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really like. Uh, I saw something. Um, that you posted uh, on Twitter today that that exemplifies things, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but it's something about like a university professor spend ten years studying things. That's all you do. Um, same person also writes the talk on the plane on the way to the you know yeah. to the conference, and and I I've, I I'm I am as guilty as this as 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 many. Um, in our field, I, I don't, and, and never, you know, and the other part of that tweet was like, I never practice and I don't usually practice. And my, my system is I've got like a, um, a, a slide bank of, I don't know, 150 or 200 slides. And, and I add to them as I go along and I, I don't have a real organization of this bank. Like I say, it's a bank. It's really just a history of like, what did I talk about? When did I make anything new? Can I go back and pull new slides from that? Do I need to make something new? Um, and, and I'll, I'll tell you when I, when, when those like, um, very kind souls, those eight people, six to eight people clapped when they said food safety talk, I was like, damn it. I don't, I, I might not have prepared enough for what they're expecting. <laughs> so I, so anyway, I don't, have you experienced this at all? Is this, is this, am I the first, have you, have you heard this? Like when I know we, people, um, come up to us and introduce themselves to us about food safety talk, but it was the first time that it was like vocalized in fr- like before I talked and it made me, ner- it made me nervous. Yeah. And no, I've not had that experience, but I continue to have experiences where I run into listeners and it's always very, very gratifying and it's always a little weird and, and, and they always feel a little weird. Um, but I always explain like, it's okay. Like I listen to podcasts too, and I'm fans of people that have podcasts. And so I think I can, I know what you're feeling and yes, it's a little bit weird and you feel like you know me because you listen to my voice every couple of weeks and I don't know you at all, but you, but you feel like we have this very intimate relationship and I'm, and it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally get that because, because I listen to podcasts too. So, um, but I've never had the experience of anybody, uh, uh, cheering, but I, but I want to, I want to come back to that tweet and I, and I do, I do want to find it and, and, and we'll link to it. Um, I, the person making the tweet was making the tweet, um, I think as like a negative thing, right, like right. Oh, this person spends 10 years, uh, you know, and in my case, 30 years studying this thing and they write their talk on the plane, but it's like, but be, it's because I spent the 30 years that I can write the talk on the plane. Right. right. And, 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 right. and it's, yes. that, and that's okay. Right. Honestly, if you want to really understand the 30 years of my career, just start at the first paper and keep reading. Right. Like, and that will, that will explain to you my career in science because the, you know, that's the, that's the, those are the bricks, right? The publications are the bricks. But, but if you want to hear me talk about that and you want to hear me weave a story, you don't, you don't need me to work, to, to hear this, this presentation that I've been carefully crafting for 30 years. What you want to do, I think what you want to do is you want to hear me tell you a story, right? And you want to hear me tell you a story about what I've been doing. Um, 
and that's I'm sorry, Bianca's looking out the window. And there's, uh, there's something exciting going on. So, um, but but yeah, but so and that's and that's okay. Like that's that's what you, that's what at least, at least when I'm sitting in an audience, I don't, I want the person to to tell me a story and, and they're going to use stuff from their papers, but mostly I just want to hear like, what are you thinking about today? Right? Like what's got your interest today? What, what, what do you have to tell me that maybe I won't get from reading your papers or what can you, what can you reveal to me? Um, that what, if I don't want to sit down and read one of your papers, right? Like, what can you tell me? Like, like, tell me a story, tell me a good story. Oh my gosh. So, so yes, so much of this is yes. Right. Because I, I, I think, I, I think it was different. Um, and this is like predating you and I, um, and, and you, you probably went through this transition, um, like in, in real time. But when I came on the scene talking about food safety or, or, you know, doing research in science into food safety, the ability for everybody, like while you're waiting, while my bio is getting read, you can go to Google scholar and get a, a, a catalog of all the papers that I've written, right? Like they're all, they're all there. Um, I don't need you to – I don't think the audience wants me to come and rehash that. And, and in fact, I'm really cognizant of that because – and I think about it. What I, what I want to hear when I'm in the audience is not like stuff that – like I don't, I don't really want to see um, a study presented. And I, I don't want to see here are the five you know, tables that are in the paper. I might want to use one or two visuals or some data that, that came from that study to highlight something that's that's important for the story I'm telling today when I'm in when I'm in front of you. But I, I really don't want to rehash and, and give sort of like a um uh, a presentation on well, you know, here's the introduction, here are the methods, and and here's the data that we collected and this is the analysis that we did. Unless that unless that's the story I've been asked to tell, right? Um, and, and, and so I, I'm, um, I, I've always sort of taken this, like this approach of, of storytelling. I think that's what, why you and I do the podcast is it's just another, um, outlet to, to storytell. Um, but it's, but it's also like every time I tell, like I could use the same slides, um, three times in a row and tell five different stories with five, five different talks with different, different outcomes, like different, different focus areas. Um, and, and even, even the day of things that are going on and, and some of the stuff that, that we're going to talk about, um, you know, that's, that's in our, um, our Dropbox folder today about things that are going on in food safety. Those examples change daily, um, based on outbreaks that are happening and, um, incidents that are, that are happening and, and things that are, that we're seeing, um, you know, play out in, in the food safety press and, and popular press that I really do want to keep this stuff fresh and up to the minute and try to make that, that connection with, with what's going on in, in somewhat real time. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I, I'll, I mean, I'm, and, and depending on your perspective on this, I'm either worse or better than that. Uh, than the tweet, which is I'm I'm adding stuff based on what people are talking about in the the, the like the speaker right before me, um, you know certain things that that they're keying in on um, that I want to I want to call back to something they said to help illustrate my story. Um, I may add I may create another uh, another slide, or I may add something that I didn't think about um, when I started formulating what the story was going to be. Um, and that's yeah that that's that's the that's my approach and it, and it might like it might be right or wrong i mean it doesn't doesn't really matter but it's the one that keeps me compelled to do it 
Yeah, and that's this is why I like roundtables so much is that you just never know what's going to happen, right? You do a little bit of preparation, and then you sort of throw these people together. You, you introduce, you, know, you have a few talking points, and then you just sort of let you just let it let it roll and see what happens. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and I what I my my real and I don't know about about you, but I always I always stack my. Um, my slide. I'm I'm really hard, trying to avoid the term slide deck because I think that's a really old oh, term. Yeah, I stack yeah. I stack my slides with um with more stuff than than I know that I I can get to, but knowing all right, keep an eye on the clock and know when a natural out is right. Like get to the stuff that I need to, and maybe jump around a little bit, but do so in a way where I'm like manipulating the um the PowerPoint presentation, like a, like it's a piano where it's like, ah, oh, you know what? I know, I know this, this next slides in the thirties or I know this, I know my end slide. I know like, I don't know. This is like a trick that I always use. Um, I, I always memorize what, what my end slide number is. So I'm like, Oh, we get to the point. Oh, the end. And I just hit and like, for example, the talk that I gave last week, the last slide, which is a big picture of, um, of a, uh, a piece of art that says the end that I took at the North Carolina um, museum of art and stuff. And our, I think it's just called the museum of art. Um, it, uh, it was number 48 and I knew that on Thursday and I was like, Oh, I'll just type in 48 when I want to finish. <laughs> um, huh? So, so let me, let me tell you what I do. Um, I don't do that, right? I have, and and what what I've done over time is, as I have more stories, or I get better at just talking extemporaneously, as I use fewer and fewer slides. Um, and I also number my slides, but I also number my slides with like X of Y slides. So I I always know where I am in the deck, right? I'm at 10 of 15 slides or I'm at 10 of 20 slides. And I watch the clock very carefully and I adjust my pacing so that I end on, you know, X of X slides at the end at the at the ending time and, and then just adjust, adjust the stories or the di- digressions in between. Um, so I think you and I do do the same. It's the same skill, but we're but we're applying it in very different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, the like my nightmare is X of Y slides. Mm-hmm. Right. Like because I, I want to there. There are lots of times where I will start to tell a story and and that the point that I start to make is like, you know what, what fits better right now is the story that's two stories ahead. So Mm. let me, let me get there and let me do that Mm. in a way that, that makes it look like I kind of know what I'm doing, um, without like getting out. Like, I guess I, I just being able to manage PowerPoint a little bit, right? Like I'm like, Mm. I Mm -hmm. think that, I think that slide or that picture is going to be around 22. And then I'll just like, you know, type in 22 and it goes to that. And then I'm like, no, it's two back. And then I just quickly go back instead of like, wow. oh, I'm so th- yeah, this, but this trick of typing numbers into PowerPoint, that's, that's a new one on me. Oh, I, I just, I, I did not know that. Oh no. yeah. Yeah. So when you're running a PowerPoint presentation, if you just type 33 and enter, it'll take you to slide 33. Of course it will. That's yeah. amazing. That's the way, it, right. That's the way it should work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's, yeah. And, and so, so here's the, so I told you about the trick of like memorizing the last slide number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is because, so this is, this is also fascinating. If you do it on a Mac or what my exam, my experience has been is if I'm doing it on my own computer, if I know that my, like, um, it doesn't matter what, like if I, the last slide number doesn't matter. Cause I can just type like 99 
and I'll oh, never have and 99, it, and it just yeah. takes you to the last one. But on a PC, that doesn't always work. <laughs> so when it's – of course, right? So when I'm on someone else's computer, I, I, I like automatically know, okay, I just need to know what the, what the, the end slide is. Um, I, so anyway, that's – yeah, that's my – those are my like little little tricks. But I, I, I really do so – you know, I, I often um, – not often. I always sort of say, hey, if you have a question about something that I'm saying, stop me now. And that that questioning often leads me to the other stories, right? Like someone asked someone asked a question um, about cultural differences in training, and it's like, um, well, at, at this talk, and I had slides that I didn't I, I, that were in my package that I didn't tell the story about, but I, but. Um, it her this question highlighted some data that we had looking at um, uh, um, hand washing differences from a third party auditor and showing geographical differences that may have to do with cultural differences. And I, I don't look at cultural differences as, as like um, eth you know ethnicities or and the, the question I think came from like people that are coming from other countries. How do you teach them to wash their hands? Which I, that's not a game I really want to get into. But what I did want to highlight was, um, you know, the data that that we have that we've uh, been able to um, that we were provided from this third party auditor shows differences geographically on the likelihood that, that there's going to be a hand washing infraction, and it's different between sort of where you live and 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 not so much where I live, but where like the Mississippi River Valley. And, and so to me, there's, it, 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 so anyway, I, when that question came up, I was like, you know, I have that slide. So let me go do that. Let me answer your question with a slide that is further off in my presentation. And now I won't hit it, but I got to come back and I want to tell some other stories. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And that, and that is much more like what I do when I'm teaching a workshop because yeah. I, it, it's different than when I'm giving a presentation as part of a meeting. Cause I feel with a workshop, I'm really there to really to make sure that at the end of it, their questions are answered. But when I'm giving a talk at a meeting, it's, I want that too, but I also want to respect the, the time and the agenda and honestly what they asked me to come there and talk about. But, but yeah, but no, I appreciate that you can do that. And in fact, I've heard you um, talk on that particular point with that particular slide, I think in the past, and that's some, some really interesting data. So it's good that you had a chance to, uh, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that was not where I thought. See, right there. This is why we do the podcast. I didn't even know I was going to talk about my uh, PowerPoint maestroing. Hey, hey. So, um, so speaking of your presentation in Murfreesboro, which is the weirdest name ever. I know. Um, and try to pronounce that correctly. Like, and I told. Oh, it's was, Murfreesboro, right? Well, I think so. And I kept. But saying, it's but it's spelled Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. Yeah. yeah. And then I, that's why I was like, you stumble over it. I'm, someone asked me. Oh, Don, you know, I, like, and this is, I, I was on the plane and I took my headphones off for a second and, and that was like the in for the guy beside me who was on a sales trip to, to ask me oh. about my iPad. And oh. then, oh, hey, where, where are you, what do you do? Where are you going? What, what, you know, what do you got, you got plans tonight? Like all this kind of stuff. Anyway, oh. uh, so I told him that I was going to Murfreesboro and he goes, Murfreesboro? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, so you you got you got to meet probably I'm assuming one of my my new favorite people, and that's uh, Jessica Zetlau from yeah. Yum yeah, Brands. Yeah. I did, um, I did. I I've knew she... Jessica before. Yeah. Okay, I I did not, but she's on my CFP committee on mail order foods, and she's amazing. She's so awesome. yeah, yeah. I don't. So know. anyway, just that's just the name that just jumped out to me. So yeah, yeah. we'll call her call her Deep Yum. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yum. Yeah, yum. Uh, I never know. I'm like, yum. I just always want to say it like like that because it's <laughs> yum exclamation mark. Yeah, yum. Jess, Jess and I, um, I don't actually – I can't actually remember where we met. Um, mm. I think it was probably CFP related. Um, I, I think she might have been involved in the first iteration of the employee food safety training uh, committee that I was on, but I've, 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 we've, we've interacted a bunch of times. So, uh, she actually spoke right before me and, and that was a perfect example of, she had mentioned something about, um, what yum is doing to keep, um, uh, hand washing signs fresh by integrating like quarterly pop culture stuff into their hand washing signs cool. and changing them. Yeah. And I just, I was like, you know what? I have like a story about that. Um, from things that, that I had done in the past that I was like, this is, they're totally on the right track and here's a bunch of data on it. So, so that, and that, and she like spoke directly before me. So, well, that, that's weird. Cause that doesn't match this, the agenda that's on the website <laughs> Oh, because it has uh, her and then, uh, somebody talking about blockchain. Oh, never mind, never mind. Yeah, there's a, blockchain. There's and a blockchain. then, um, and then, and then somebody talking about the Yuma outbreak. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. It wasn't right before me, but oh, but it was the same day. Same day. Oh, it's, all, okay. it's all blends together. I don't want, I don't want to compromise your OPSEC. Yeah. No, <laughs> oh, speaking a... of OPSEC, um, uh, very nice, a uh, very nice, um, uh, meeting in Nantes with, uh, John Bassett, friend of the pod, ah! uh, John Bassett, who, who, who sent a message out, BCC to message, um, to, to 11 people uh, saying, I don't want to compromise your OPSEC. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so I'm BCCing all of you, and I think I was the only one that got that joke. But That's anyway, awesome. um, he invited a whole bunch of us over to his uh, little apartment that he had rented um, at the non conference um, to celebrate his uh, new job with uh, Group Danone. So yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. Uh, congratulations to uh, to John Bassett to D- yeah. Deep Danone. <laughs> uh, hey, so I have a I have a question for you, and yeah. I think this is uh, in some follow up. Um, are we ready to move into follow up? Yeah, let's 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 talk about food safety. Okay, so this one, um, this is an uh, an email that came to us while while I think you were in in France, in the uh, in Provence, um, and it was email. Oh, you know, I found. Speaking of Provence, I found out that Provence was originally not part of France. It was actually a separate country, and really? there's a river, the Rhone River, and the people on the the um, the east side were French, and the people on the the left side or the the west side were provincial, and they didn't like each other, and they fought wars, and they built castles and stuff. So anyway, were they yeah. the, were they the which one were the Gauls? I think that's a different thing. <laughs> uh, well, that's all I know. Uh, there's Gaul, French Gaul, Latin Gallia. I'm just, uh, I'm, uh, just reading from Wikipedia. Just reading, yeah, straight from, uh, actually even better, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, <laughs> which I didn't even know it still existed. They have their own website. Uh, it's well, uh, so we're, we'll link to the Wikipedia article on the history of Provence, but we won't read, uh, from it, read from it on the podcast, but you can read, read it up and you know, we'll, uh, we'll quiz you later. All right. All right. I like this. Okay. So I'm going to go to, to my, this isn't in chronological order, but it's my favorite one. And I want to, I want to know if, if I've missed something, if I've fallen asleep. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so this is, uh, from, uh, someone who says, please feel free, feel free to share all details, but in, in all, uh, you know, as we like to, uh, handle things, uh, everyone gets some sort of a nickname of deep. And this one is, um, deep infusion. Cause that sounds like a product. Um, and so the, this email starts hi zippy, which is me. And Skippy, which is you. Yeah. Did, did I call you Skippy? Did we make a decision or is this new? 
We're no, just, this is this is new. This is this is the, the listeners so uh, riffing on the podcast. I'm so, so excited. Yeah. So you're Skippy now, and Barely. I went I went and changed Skippy <laughs> in my I'm, your name now is Skippy Schaffner in my in my contacts <laughs> because because my name is Zippy Chapman in yours. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's Skippy Skippy Schaffner. Uh, okay, so so the email um, and. I, I want to. I, first of all, I want to um, uh, give like peel back a little bit of the onion of the show here a little bit. So when you email the show, you send a message through the website, uh, hit us up on Twitter, all the the ways that people get in contact with us. These are all good. I want to. I want to like thank Don uh, Skippy Schaffner because literally ninety five percent of the time Don answers these, and I hang back. Um, well, well, here's the thing. 100% of the time, the messages only come to me, I think, right? Right, right. Yeah, and then you so, – So you have no way to know that somebody has emailed the show because it comes to me. And and I will almost always think about it and then yeah. – again, and, and because of <laughs> – you do. You think so? Like, I didn't mean to be disparaging. No, um, yeah. but but here's the thing. I you know, and I've talked about it before, but I have to mention again, like the ability to write emails with Siri or with Dragon Dictate on the Mac is has been such a friction remover for me because I just open up a window and I start talking. And I can be conversational and I can be chatty. And it really – it's like for me, and I'm a crap typist, right? And, and But for somehow the, the idea of being able to just open up a window and talk and have words appear in that window, um, like typed words, is such a friction remover for me. So it actually makes it pretty easy. But but yeah, anyway. That's Well, that's <laughs> awesome because I, I don't think I um, – I, I, I don't – we don't talk enough about it. But you, you really do like a lot of the heavy lifting on – Pretty much all of the podcast. I just show up um, and include. Well, and you do you do edit and post half the shows. We with that that division <laughs> of labor is quite fair close. enough. Fair enough. But but on the like um, uh, answering emails, you're, you're you they come to you and you answer them, and then um, you put like ninety percent of the stuff into the the file. So anyway, um, so so this one, um, I'll, the uh, Deep Infusion writes. Um, my local brewery likes to do infusion casts of different foods into their core beers and make uh, uh, neat flavor combinations. Um, I sometimes wonder about the safety of these beers, but assumed it's about as risky as lemons in hotel water infusers. Yep. Yep. Um, or at least I used to until my favorite local brewery decided to release a cantaloupe-infused beer during a cantaloupe outbreak. Both infusers direct into cask and Randall systems where the beer flows through an infuser system external to the cask are post-brew process. Um, but it's hard to tell if these are kept in cold room for the described infusion contact time or room temperature. Um, and so the question that the deep infuser has is, um, does infused beer have an increased risk over infused water because of the nutrient density? Um, and how much varying ABV affect the growth curve of salmonella? Um, thanks for all you do. Um, and so, so you want to like, you know, what you, you gave like, um, like a fantastic answer to this. Um, so jump, jump in. Yeah. Well, I think so. And, and anchoring it to risk of infused water is a good one because we don't know the risk of infused water, but you can do a risk risk comparison relatively easily. And I would say, <clears throat> yes, you have more nutrients in beer, <clears throat> but you also have alcohol. 
which is going to have an inhibitory effect. And you also have a lower pH. Um, and I don't know the pH of beer off the top of my head, but it's, but it's lower than water. And so my guess is that the risk would be lower. Um, but obviously, you know, this is, this is a perfect place for somebody to go and do some experiments, right. And look at, um, uh, pathogen growth in beer. And I, I wonder, I wonder if you, if we did, if we just set the infusion part aside, has anybody looked at pathogen, uh, pathogen growth in beer? And I just, I don't know without doing a, a quick, uh, Google Scholar search. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. I did um, uh, find when you were asking about this, the pH is really variable. Mm, yep. Um, so as low as three and as high as six, mm. uh, depending on like the sours are lower and the um, ales can be as high as six, which is really well, look interesting. Look at this <clears throat> survival and growth. <clears throat> excuse me, of foodborne pathogens in beer. Oh. <clears throat> Published in Journal of Food Protection. Oh, look well, at that! Look at that! That's amazing. I think I might. I think I might have even been a reviewer for this could article. Be, could it looks, be. I it like looks. This. It looks vaguely uh, familiar. So, uh, let's see. Let me get to the punchline here. Um, ooh, uh, these pathogens grew rapidly in alcohol-free beer. However, growth was prevented when the pH of alcohol-free beer was lowered uh, from 4.3 to 4. Um, let's see. Um, uh, pathogens, uh, E. coli and salmonella could not grow in mid-strength or full-strength beers, although they could survive for more than 30 days in the mid-strength beer when held at 4 degrees C. Um, all right. So so bottom line is the alcohol in beer apparently does have a, a benefit. So, uh, yeah. So, and we'll link to this uh, JFP article. Um, it might not be available if you don't have a subscription. If you're really interested, um, you know, we'll – will hook you up but well, yeah and, so. and, yeah and just coming back to, to deep infusions question right so mm. where things get um it, it, where where things might get even more variable is um i'm infusing with with melon i i have i may be introducing salmonella that infusion may or may not change the ph right we're, we're depending on how much melon flavor and what it does from uh, a dilution standpoint. And so, yeah, the, the pH is, is, is a factor and the alcohol content is going to be a factor. Um, but, but we probably don't like it. And the, there are lots of nutrients there where we've got, um, you know, tons of sugar and, and other things for the, um, for pathogens to, to, um, chew up and eat. Um, but it's, probably um you know no riskier than uninfused beer and and post post contamination risk would be my would be my guess here yeah so so certainly there might be a risk because of what you're infusing it with but assuming that you haven't diluted the alcohol significantly and i don't think you have um and you haven't diluted the uh yeah or you haven't manipulated the ph significantly and it, seems like you haven't, um, then, um, you're, yeah, the risk is probably, uh, lower than, than water and, and not that different from uh, uninfused beer, which I think is what you said. Yeah. Cool. 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 Um, so anyway, deep infusion. Good job. Thanks for the question. And, uh, and Skippy and Zippy are here, uh, for you. <laughs> um, all right. So I, there's some cool, there's some cool feedback in here that I don't know what it is. Uh, and I think it comes from uh, uh, deep, deep sun of yours. <laughs> uh, uh, a text that says something about greatest generation. Um, and so I'm going to read this because I, I believe you put it in. 
Um, and I think the message comes from uh, uh, from Deep Sun. It says, Greatest Generation isn't a Roderick podcast. It's the Star Trek podcast that the guys who does the war movie <laughs> yeah. podcast with. And then, and then you facepalm, um, Skippy facepalm. And then uh, uh, as soon as I said it, I didn't see right, but I didn't have the time to research it correct. And that uh, Deep Sun yells, not yells, says fans of Roderick are all, are yelling, all yelling at their, their pods. Star Trek at their uh, pods. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sorry about that, uh, fans of the pod. So, yes. Um, so this is uh, apologies to uh, all of the uh, folks that really know about all of John Roderick's podcasts, um, including my including my uh, my uh, number one son. So thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, uh, number one son. Um, so, yeah. Good, good stuff. Number one, son, deep son. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, and we'll link to uh, Greatest Generation. Um, yeah, which which is a podcast that I obviously uh, don't don't listen to, um, but it is not a uh, not a uh, uh, a war podcast with John Roderick. <laughs> it is a weekly comedy Star Trek podcast hosted by Adam Pranica. I know that name. Yeah, yeah that's probably because Roderick's mentioned him. He mentions um, it all the time. And Benjamin yeah. Harrison uh, distributed online. Oh, by Maximum Fun. I love those guys at Maximum Fun. Max Fun Con. Guys. Max Fun Con. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and apparently, speaking of John Roderick and Max Fun News, um, the next Max Fun Con, uh, Jesse, um, uh, who was the who is the the the, the motivating force behind uh, Maximum Fun, um, he's been the host of Max Fun Con. But the next host of Max Fun Con apparently is going to be John Roderick. So there you go. Huh? That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So I and I've I've been to Max Fun Con a couple times, uh, but not not any time that that John went. So unfortunately. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I would love, we, we're, we're still, uh, um, figuring out our, uh, our August trip to uh, Seattle. Um, and by we, you mean you No, And I think you too, right? Aren't you coming? Well, I'm oh. coming. I'm not doing any figuring. No, 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 I'm figuring. Good point. Good point. I'm figuring you're coming. Um, and it's uh, on my calendar. Yeah, yeah. It's on your calendar and we're going to, um, it, it, uh, I, I, I think we'll have some, an update on this, uh, this week, but it looks like we're going to be doing a similar sort of live podcast like we did um, in, uh, in Geneseo uh, to like uh, college uh, kids um, that's uh, facilitated by um, some state and local health department folks. So anyway, we're, but at the same time uh, we're going to go um, I, on my, on my bucket list is to go eat potatoes uh, at the same table as John Roderick. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I want to I want to move on to another piece of feedback that comes from uh, Deep Survivor Man, um, and uh, the question is: I've always wanted to be on Survivor or Survivor Man, or to live out in the wild like uh, Chris McCand- McCandless McCandles uh, McCandless, I think it is. Um, if I, I don't went, know what any of that means. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, I know Survivor. Uh, if I went out into the wild, but here's the question. If I went into, out into the wild and died because of unsafe food, which food would it most likely be? Um, and that was a question posed to us. And so your response, I'll, I'll just remind you here on this, uh, we'll discuss this on the next episode. Likely something that gives you diarrhea. It's not the bacteria. It's the dehydration that kills you. So what do you, what do you think? So let's, let's, well, let's give you this scenario. Um, so there's, there's something called survivor man. And I think that's, I don't know. I don't know the the show, but I do know survivor and, um, people go out in the wilderness and they get, they have to do uh, certain tasks on survivor and then they get things like an idol and they, and it's a game within a game, but part of it is just surviving in the wilderness, sometimes in like a, um, 
like a, a, an island uh, place that, that doesn't have any um, uh, food. Uh, other times it's like in, in – it's usually in the jungle, uh, something like that. You, there's a beach and there's water usually. So, so in, in that situation, like uh, think of it as Castaway uh, with Tom Hanks. What uh, what food's most likely to make you sick and kill except you? With other, except with other people. With other people and, 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 and no volleyball. And no volleyball. Exactly. And no will. You can't say Wilson will make you sick. Right. Uh, what do you th- What do you think, Don? I well, have first, an, I have an answer. Well, f- first, let me say I do know who I didn't recognize the name, but I do know who Chris McCandless is, and there, we'll link to the Wikipedia article because I remember there's a, a sort of a canonical picture of himself uh, taking uh, a selfie with uh, with a, a camera. I mean, not not a, a, a cell phone selfie, but this is a guy who went off into the wilderness oh. um, and died. Oh my gosh! Um, yes, this had, is called had, the wild. Yeah, called the wild. He had no, and we have, we might have even talked about this before on the podcast. But this is a guy who really had no business going out into the wilderness, the woods. And, uh, yeah, he just, he just didn't survive. And it's, oh God, it's a, it's a grim, grim story. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I think it probably will be something that, that gives you, uh, dehydration. Um, uh, because, you know, we, we don't have, um, we, we have great hospitals and it keeps you from dying. If you go to the hospital, if you have diarrhea, because they can put you on IV, but you don't have that out in the woods. Um, so that's that's a possibility. Um, I would say there's also, a, I suppose, a possibility of a parasite infection, which would probably kill you more slowly again um, because you don't have the, the the medicine to to the, the antiparasitics uh, to get rid of those things. So yeah, so that, that's kind of my initial reaction. Yeah, and I'm with you with the with the water. Uh, or with the with the parasite, and sorry, I just answered yeah, it in water. Yeah, in water. Yeah, exactly. Water is is the thing that I think is is where I would expect to get sick from. Not not so much food. I don't think it's really um, as much of an issue uh, um, food wise. Now, there's probably some foods out there, and 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 I'm putting foods into Richard fingers that aren't really things that we would typically eat. There's got to be some wild um, type type foods not i'm not thinking about the animals or the um you know anything that someone might catch but mainly the plant uh, related foods or plant-based foods that could lead to some dehydration as well just based on inability to digest or um some some naturally occurring toxins um that that could be could be problematic um yeah to, and, only, and of course if you go out and you eat mushrooms and you don't know what you're right. doing uh, that could also kill you yeah but I think it's the water. I think the water is going to get you. That's how they get you. Well, you know, it's interesting because we owe, you know, we, I, we, I got an email from a follow-up email from something, somebody asking me about Boy Scout stuff. And I mentioned we, you know, active in the Boy Scouts and backpacking and uh, camping and all that. And one of the things that we teach the Scouts to do is to filter water. But I also remember there's some controversy about whether you really need to filter water in the backcountry, and then, you know, some people that really maybe didn't understand risk assessment um, uh, got right. involved. We Again, we might have talked about that on a, on a past uh, show quite quite some time ago now. Yep, yep, we did. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, that's that's where, where I go. And, and the other thing I wanted to say was on Chris McCandless. Um, so this is a movie. So there's a movie. I, I said something. I actually didn't give the right thing. Call of the Wild was the documentary, but there was a movie right. uh, called Into the Wild that was based right. on a John Krakauer book. Mm. And I've avoided this movie. Um, I've so I know the I know the podcast or not the podcast the soundtrack really well. Um, Eddie Vedder, one of my uh, uh, guilty pleasures, is Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder. Um, 
did, wrote all the um, songs or performed all the songs for this, and um, it's a really great soundtrack. But I remember reading reviews, and this this movie came out back in the late two thousands. I think it was like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, maybe. Um, I remember reading reviews about how um, like it's just a, a, a an incredibly like emotional and depressing movie, and I just have avoided it. I've never watched it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Did you watch it? Did you mention that you watched no, it? No, no, I wouldn't. I, I could. I don't think I could watch it. It would be. It would be too disturbing. Yeah, yeah. It's just not a, um, yeah, not a thing that um, that I really want to watch. Uh, but yeah, I did. I, I did know this. Um, also, third little piece on um, Survivor, Survivor Man, uh, Christmas Candles. I have a friend who um, who I, I won't mention because I think uh, uh, this individual is still in the process. But um, this individual has been. Uh, has gone through one or two rounds of um, uh, auditions for a show called Naked and Afraid. Do you know? Are you afraid? Are you familiar with this uh, show? It's on like uh, National Geographic Network or something. No. Naked and Afraid. All right. So it is. Where is it? Uh, it's on Discovery. And so. Okay. So what? So it's like Sur- Survivor. But as the title might tip off, not only are people dropped off um, in just you know a, a jungle, or this they did one that was um, a cold, um, but they are also uh, naked. They have no clothes on. Oh, yeah. So they have oh. got they got nothing, um, and I think they're allowed to take one um, one item with them. Uh, and so sometimes it's like, uh, I guess if it was cold, it would be a beaver pelt, but they're, yeah, this is what it says on, um, Google. They're stranded in a dangerous, desolate location without food or water, and they're completely naked. Each episode follows the adventures as they attempt to survive on their own with nothing but a personal item and the knowledge that the only prize is their pride and sense of accomplishment. So there's no, like, they don't win any money. Wow. So anyway, yeah, I have a, I have a friend who's, um, uh, who's who's in the process for this? Mm, good luck. Yeah, it's, uh, and, I hope they don't pick you. Right, right. Well, we had a conversation, um, and this this individual was like, "Well, what do I do for food? Like, what's tell me about food safety stuff?" So, so anyway, I and I gave uh, this. I'm very cagey because I don't want to say if it's male or female, but I gave this person um, the same answer that uh, gave uh, Deep Survivor, which was water. Water. You, you want you want my suggestion on how to not get sick and survive the longest. Um, take some, you want a personal item, take water purification things. I, I would, I would say you probably take a way to make fire <laughs> because you're fire. Yeah. You're fire because, on water. Because if, yeah, because you can, you can, <laughs> you can, you can, you, if you, well, I guess, but you need, then you need a way to hold the water. Right. If you have, if you have a way to make fire, you have a way to sterilize water. So you do. Uh, and also that would also keep you warm. So it's true. Oh. But but it would be so so I, I thought about fire but but without like a pot now I gotta now I have to like heat something I gotta find something that will hold water enough to to heat it right so I'm right. so I'm thinking like no no I'll uh, give me the water let me I'll purify my own water yeah but 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 again I mean if you have a water filtration set up then you filter the water into your mouth I guess I mean yes. anyway so yeah. we by the way we did talk about this on episode 145 which is entitled cold pizza for breakfast and we we linked to two different things one was a slate article 
uh, from 2018 that said uh, the title entitled "Actually Backpackers You Don't Need to Filter Your Stream Water." Um, and then uh, there's a, actually a scientific article um, from uh, Wilderness and Environmental Medicine from 2004 entitled "Evidence-Based Medicine in the Wilderness: The Safety of Backcountry Water." So uh, we'll we'll relink to both of those as well as to episode 145. Awesome, awesome. Um, Okay, so you ready for a little more follow up? This one's yes. uh, this one's from Deep Teacher, which is awesome. Uh, there's this is a big a big um, uh, bunch of questions, so I'm gonna um, I, I, I will uh, edit this uh, slightly. So um, I'm a special education teacher in the Chicago in Chicago public schools. I came across your pod dot 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 cast about nine months ago. Great job, Deep Teacher. Uh, we're looking at recommendations from iTunes after I listened to another one called Foodstuffs. I've listened to 16 months of FST while keeping oh. up with current podcasts, and I have so many questions. Uh, it seems the more I listen, the, I, they get answered, so I just keep listening. I haven't written in yet. I'm at a point where it makes sense to just start from the beginning and move forward. I have to say how, you, how I love how your show has evolved. That's cool. It's I, 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 I appreciate that, uh, um, Deep Teacher. We I think Don and I um, – we. We, I don't think we've planned to evolve it, but anytime you do do something over and over again and try to, um, you know, make it better and make sure that we prepare and think about things that worked and didn't work, and we don't, we're not nearly that formal. But I agree, it has, it's evolved, and I think we're we're at a fun spot. Um, after uh, the banter and listener questions, you answer are great. You break down the world of food safety and the average person understand. Uh, just listen to episode 83 where we talk about cantaloupe and listeria. And I'm beside myself that I have cut up fruit and eaten it five days later and also let it sit on the counter. Yuck, I wish FST segments uh, had segments in the local news because who even knew? <laughs> um, so here's some questions. Um, number one, how do you clean your fruits and veggies? What do you recommend? Do you clean everything, including organic pre-washed salads and foods with natural barriers like bananas and watermelons? Do you follow best practices or do as I say and not as I do? Um, so let's, let's just do this in, in a sequential order. Okay. Um, so I'll, let me, let me handle this one, this one first. Um, and then, uh, you can jump in with, with yours, uh, for, for washing, uh, fruits and vegetables, um, I don't think about washing them as pathogen removal. Um, and and right. so I'm very much about rinsing. What do I do to rinse? And um, if I was concerned about pathogens, um, the, there really isn't a whole lot that I that I can do more than what's happened before it got to me. That's sort of my my standard approach. And I'm I'm very much not a um, do as I say and not as I do person. I'll tell you exactly what I do um, and what I continue to say, which I don't agree with some of what the uh, quote best practices are out there. And that's I rinse with um, with, with cold water, um, and I don't I don't add anything into that water. Um, but I also don't do it, and you know, just going back on, on what I said before, I don't do it as a way to be like um, disinfecting or sanitizing the outside of um, that fruit or vegetable. I'm really just rinsing any debris that might be loosely attached to it that may contain a pathogen, but more than likely, it's just sand and grit that that that's uh, a physical nuisance. Um, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and and just uh, I, I don't with, with things like bananas and watermelons. I don't do anything with those at all. Um, I do. I, I do um, scrub a cantaloupe, 
Um, and that's based on um, uh, some data that um, that friend of the show, and I think maybe you had a hand in this paper, but friend of the show, Linda Harris, and um, and uh, Christine Brune, uh, two um, folks at UC Davis, published a paper maybe 10 years ago uh, demonstrating uh, more than a um, one log reduction of, uh, I think it was salmonella specifically, on the outside of uh, cantaloupe if you use a scrub brush. And that's what I do. I use a scrub brush with, with, with uh, cantaloupe, and I don't really do anything else that, that has a peel on it. I may rinse a, an apple. Um, and I don't ever wash pre-washed salads. Um, and I do sometimes buy organic uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, um, not from a safety standpoint, but every once in a while at some of my grocery stores, it's cheaper, like strawberries for whatever reason. Um, this time of year seem to be cheaper organic than they are conventional. So I buy those organics because I, because like, <laughs> I like cheap. <laughs> I'm all about the cheap. So anyway, how would you, anything else you would add? Yeah. So we have another bit of listener feedback that will nicely segue into after this, which is a question about these uh, over-the-counter or you know produce washes that you can buy and whether they're any good or not. Um, and all I will say as a little bit of dramatic uh, uh, foreshadowing is that they're not good, um, which I guess is not really dramatic foreshadowing. It's just revealing the punchline. But um, we will we will link to a really good article uh, by uh, – actually, there's a couple of articles, but we'll link to one in particular by Larry Bouchard. Uh, Linda Harris and others, uh, where they developed a standard method for assessing the efficacy of fresh produce sanitizers. And they, they looked at chlorine, and they also looked at the product called Fit, which is made by Procter & Gamble. Um, and we'll also there's also another article uh, where somebody evaluated one of these other products, and they discovered that the other product was no better than just plain water. And so, uh, again, to, to, and I, we basically do the same thing that you do, Ben. I don't wash bananas. I will rinse off an apple before I eat it. Um, um, uh, but generally speaking, we'll wash lettuce in water, um, only to uh, cold water to crisp it back up if the leaves are a little bit um, limp, and uh, and mostly just to remove grit and dirt. Um, and that's that's the most important thing. And and you know you're not you're going to get maybe a one log reduction from washing with plain water. You can put stuff in the water, and you'll get maybe a one log reduction. Um, because of the water. So, of the water, yeah, um, yeah. And it's, so it's really important anytime you're evaluating any of these uh, washing interventions is that you compare them to just plain water and, and, and determine whether there is a statistically significantly different difference from just plain water. And in many cases, and we'll, we'll link to one of the articles that shows this, in many cases there is not. Right. Yep. A absolutely. I had a question um, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> And I can't remember exactly where this is from, and I don't think it was from the podcast, but someone asked me about vinegar as well. Mm, yeah, and Carl, uh, Carl Custer oh. has been uh, uh, emailing about this um, uh, a lot. So he's, he's, he's all hot and bothered about uh, produce sanitizers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, the, no, so this uh, – let me – I found it, and it was partially Carl, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you um, uh, something to put in the show notes. Two things, cool. actually. So yep. I had a um, – uh, I, I did a, a video um, that just got released maybe a week and a half ago on um, our social media um, uh, like channel, I guess, for our mm -hmm. college, and it was about um, washing produce. Mm, and, cool. and so I took a lot of the stuff that you and I have talked about on the podcast and tried to distill that down into three or four minutes nice. and talked about all this stuff. So we'll link to that video, and I, I yeah. totally spaced out on, on that video until this. Um, and so anyway, when that video got posted, 
um, I got a message uh, through our social media folks in the college saying, hey, um, we received a question about washing produce. How should I respond? And the question was, I like to put fresh strawberries in a two-quart bowl of water with a tablespoon of white vinegar and let it sit for one minute before rinsing with cold water. I do the same thing with lettuce and other greens. It seems to help with removing grit, and I hope it might neutralize, and this is where the fun of um, the world that we're in happens, I hope it might neutralize some bacteria as well. Um, is there any science to support that? <laughs> well, it's not going to neutralize any bacteria because <laughs> no. it's an acid, so it's going to acidify some bacteria. We might acidify but it, but that, it, yeah. But it's, but it's not going to have any real benefit. Right, right. Is there yeah. any science to support uh, doing that, or am I wasting vinegar? Thank you. And so no, my, and yes, that right, would be right. My answers, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and I and there's a, there's actually a really good paper that that we'll link mm-hmm. to in show notes about vinegar, um, uh, from I just had it up here, uh, effectiveness of washing produce and reducing Salmonella enterica, Listeria monocytogenes, on a raw leafy green vegetable, um, and this is from uh, some researchers in Italy. It was published in Frontiers in Microbiology in 2016. So I I asked our social media folks to link to this because there's some really good data that says. Um, the vinegar is doing something for pathogens, yes, but it's not significantly different than what it, the, what the water is doing, uh, right. just to water in. So, I mean, it's not that it's it, it's not that it's ineffective. And this is the thing when we uh, the the central tenet of uh, of the podcast of it's complicated and it depends and um, and let's make risk comparisons and let's talk about risk. Is right. it doing something? Yes. Is it doing anything more? Like, am I reducing risk by doing it? No. As long as I'm already following rinse with water, I'm doing. I'm getting the same, uh, same effect. Right. Um, so. So anyway, yeah. Uh, good. Good question from from Deep Teacher. Um, more. There's more Deep Teachers. Yes. Stuff. Um. So I'm gonna skip forward. Uh, okay. To to Deep Teacher question number two, or sorry, okay. number three, number three. Yep. Which is how common and deadly Ooh. are the bacteria that grow on dog and cat food water bowls? Should you really be washing them after each meal? Are they harmful to humans? Um, so what? What? Why don't you tackle this one first, and then I'll follow sure. up. Sure. So this is a really interesting question, um, and I don't think it's come up before on the podcast. Um, there is a paper that we should try to find um, that Bob Buchanan wrote on, and and I I reviewed it a couple of times, um, and eventually I think it got published um, on like when you take dry food and you rehydrate it, um, because apparently you you don't want your doggies to eat poor dry food. You want to put some moisture in there and and bacterial growth. Um, so we'll try to find that that article by Buchanan and others. Um, but, um, so, um, I can tell you what we do, right? So we have two dogs. We feed the dogs twice a day. We feed them a mixture of dry and canned foods. And then we wash those bowls every couple of days in the dishwasher. Uh, there's always uh, fresh water out. There's always water out for them. Sometimes it's fresh. Um, and, uh, uh, we will change that and, and wash that on a regular basis as well. But certainly it's not every day. Um, We might have talked about before on the podcast that some of the bacteria that make people sick also make animals sick and vice versa. There are some microorganisms that only make animals sick and don't make people sick and, and again, uh, vice versa. Um, For sure, what we know is that there have been outbreaks in the past linked to pet treats, which are made from animal products um, where people have gotten sick just from handling the pet treats. Um, uh, And so people handle the pet treats, they feed them to their pets, and then they, you know, accidentally touch their hand to their mouth without washing their hands. Um, And if you want to find out more, I told the deep teacher, uh, just Google uh, beef 
Hizzle outbreak. Um, and so uh, I will I will do the same here in my internet browser, um, and I will uh, Google beef, beef Hizzle outbreak, and I will find an article that is entitled "Dog Treats Made from Bull Penis May Pose Health Risks." So we will link to that. Pizzle my dizzle. Full <laughs> shizzle. <laughs> uh, oh god, show, we're show so title. not cool. We're show. so not cool. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so uh, so so this is a really great question. Why I wanted to skip forward on this is um, I've been working with a couple of folks here at NC State a, a around this explicit, like this question explicitly, and and I don't think that there's any data out there on it. Um, uh, sort of right now on on bulls, and I I think that um, what we also don't know very much is how like you explained what you do, and it's really in line with what I do. Um, so we we feed a lot of dry food to my dog. Um, my dog does not like I I wash that food when it starts to or wash that bowl when it starts to get like grimy, like when there's like a film that happens maybe an inch up, and I I think that's based on where his all of his slobber ends up, um, and that food gets gets added to that with the water. Um, and so so it might be like once a week that we wash that that we wash that bowl. Um, I don't know whether that's good or bad. Um, and, and so anyway, we're, um, looking to design a project, um, and do something here in the next uh, couple of years where we actually try to get some information from, um, actual homes on this, what, you know, being able to understand more about the practices and then the microbiology of those, of those bowls. And this is in conjunction with, um, my good friend and colleague in, um, in our vet college, Megan Jacob, um, and a couple of her colleagues um, as well who are interested in this in this area. We may get to a point where, in the you know reality based research world that I, that I live in, we may bring people into our kitchens and, and just ask them to be like, "All right, here are four different um, soiled dog bowls. What do you do with them?" And let's see how they wash them. And it could be like the observation goes like this. Um, I look at that, and that goes in a dishwasher, and this one goes back on the floor. And people are done in five minutes. I don't know. But that's one of the things that we're, we're looking at. Because I, I, I think when it comes to the increase of recalls related to, to, to uh, pet foods, um, based on our, our system, whether that be regulators or the industry, um, or public health investigators, we're looking at, at pet foods differently than we than we used to from a risk profile um, standpoint. You know, there either have been recalls or um, or illnesses. Um, I, I think we we don't really have a good sense of when that pathogen's introduced in dry kibble in a bowl. How long does it stick around for, and how is it? It does it become a cross contamination issue, or is it a consumption and then poop issue? Um, is it handling the food? Is that the risk factor? The, or, or is w these are all risk factors? What's the most important one, or are they all um, equally important, or you know, or, or not significantly different? Yeah, and actually, so it turns out Buchanan apparently has been quite active in this field. So we will link to three papers that has him, that have him as a, a co-author. The first one is entitled "Pet Food Safety: A Shared Concern," which is a review article that was published in 2011 in the 
uh, British Journal of Nutrition. There's an article entitled Quantitative Assessment of Human and Pet Exposure to Salmonella Associated with Dry Pet Foods. It was published in IJFM in 2016. And then this is the one I was thinking of uh, by Oni et al., um, uh, Oni Lambertini and Buchanan, uh, entitled Assessing the Potential for Salmonella Growth in Rehydrated Dog Food. And that was eventually published in the International Journal of Food Contamination. And like I said, I, I reviewed this a couple of times for a couple of different journals and eventually uh, it got published. It's a nice piece of work, um, but it just was kind of didn't really fit a lot of places. And so people didn't really know what to do with it. But yeah, so apparently, uh, who knew? Um, uh, <laughs> pet food safety, a, a hidden hidden uh, strength of Bob Buchanan. There you go. Awesome. Um, and downloading things when they come, they get posted. He's really good at that. Um, <laughs> that's a little insight. That's going to be funny to like two other people. Right, right, right. It's good. That's, that's the way it should be sometimes. Uh, all right. Um, so Deep Teacher um, continues on with, uh, um, w- with another question. I'm, I'm going to go to four, and we're going to come back to two, Don. That's, okay, that's, that's cool. what I'm doing here. Okay. So in my classroom, it's a small special education classroom of about 10 students maximum. I have students wash their hands before we begin class, and we use hand sanitizers often. After class is over, we clean the desk with various items before the next class comes in. I try to keep it uh, to natural cleaners due to allergies and those harsh uh, um, chemical smells. But we do use Clorox wipes a few times a week. What are your thoughts on natural cleaners? Does the spray need to sit on the desk longer um, before wiping to kill bacteria? So I, I think so. The first question is. Um, you know, quote natural cleaners. What, what do we, how effective are they? Um, second question is about contact time. Um, does the spray need to sit on the desk before wiping to kill bacteria or, um, or, or can I spray and then wipe it off? And is there a study you can refer us to? Is there a website with statistics you could refer, refers to on hand washing? There's a lot of good stuff, um, in, in this one. Um, so I, uh, let me, let me tackle this, this, uh, one, uh, first a little bit. Um, so right, right off the bat, I think it's, um, I think deep teacher, you are in the, um, like in the elite when it comes to, uh, thinking about and also practicing, um, uh, cleaning and sanitizing in the classroom, uh, from my, my small experiences in classrooms, um, and, and most of it being where, where I do spend most of my time is in, um, uh, in the high school setting, um, this is not something that the teachers are, are typically doing. Um, and, and I'd say that even in, uh, the setting that I spend most of the time in, which is in, um, family consumer science food labs. Um, I think there's a lot of cleaning and sanitizing in the kitchen lab itself, but in a classroom setting, um, I, I, I don't, I don't think there, there is a whole lot. My, my anecdotal experience, as a parent of two kids that are in um, uh, elementary school, um, there are some there are some wipes. I've been to you know some events and and, and volunteered in, in these classrooms, and it's not a like uh, my kids. Uh, one of my kids eats his lunch in his classroom. The entire class does. They don't have a a lunchroom, and they don't they don't treat those desks like with uh, the same way that they would if it was a lunch table from a cleaning and sanitizing yep. standpoint. Yep. So this is really cool. Um uh so I'm a little bit leery about natural cleaners. And really what I I wanted to highlight for for deep teacher here was the the step of 
um, trying to keep pathogens off of desks and off of hand, uh, off of tables um, and onto hands is about two steps. One is cleaning, and the second is sanitizing. And it's it's tough to um, to parse those two steps out. I think a clean with with just soap and water, which could be some sort of a natural cleaner, as long as it's it's a soap, um, is fine. But a sanitizing step. Um, the, Natural doesn't really have a great definition, but but the things that I would recommend using um, might fall into your category of of harsh chemical smells. But it would be either um, chlorine based or quaternary ammonia based um, sanitizers. And and this is one where I think we can reach into um, friend of the podcast Carl Custer's stuff is um, and Pete Snyder, um, the the late Pete Snyder, um, also talked about using vinegar as a household sanitizer. I think there's a pretty good place for vinegar. Uh, in these situations as a post, um, as a post clean sanitizer in classroom settings that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, it changes the pH of, uh, of, you know, uh, enough that it may, um, uh, be effective on, on those surfaces. Um, and, and contact time really, so to, to question about that, I think contact time depends on, um, on that compound on that, that chemical. And I, I answered that question, Don, without looking at your answer. So I don't know if I hit on all the stuff or did different things that you said. Yeah. So a couple of points. So I think the first of all, well, so first of all, thanks to deep teacher for being a special ed teacher. That's such an important job. And I'm just so glad that, um, that she's doing it and, and that she listens to the podcast and that she wrote to us. So, so first of all, just thanks. Thanks for that. That's, that's just fantastic. We need more people, uh, to do that. Um, uh, so getting your kids in the habit of doing hand washing and hand sanitizers before class is great. Um, I've heard, uh, Merlin Mann, a friend of the pod, cast, um, talk about, um, the behaviors that his, uh, he does with his daughter or then things that she was taught in school. And it, it's, it's a great habit, right? Like washing your hands on a regular basis is just, it's just a great habit. Um, with respect to natural cleaners, I think Ben, you and I are on the same page. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little leery of things that you make based on a recipe you found on the internet, right? Because if you are, if you're a company and you are marketing a, what they call a hard surface sanitizer, uh, you're falling under EPA regulations and there are rules about what you can say on the label based on what you do. And, and the EPA regulates that. So, um, so there's, there's some benefit to getting something that is, that is uh, labeled for that particular use. Um, <clears throat> Again, it's natural. Natural cleaning products is is a big, diverse bucket, and it's difficult to to comment more without some more information. Um, if the product has a, if it's a if it's a commercial product, uh, and you can you can read the label, you might be able to to learn more. Um, I I said if you know if she wanted to send more specific details, uh, we could we would investigate. And again, we'll we'll get we'll get back to this on the subject of produce sanitizers in just a minute. Um, um, it, yeah. And then I wasn't really sure what she was asking for in terms of, uh, hand washing statistics. Um, but I would say, you know, when we talk about cleaning and this is something again, to flash back to stuff I'd done with the boy scouts, um, we were, we were teaching wash, rinse, sanitize. And then the last step is air dry, right? So the first step is wash. You have to remove the food debris because you can't sanitize a dirty surface. You have to get it clean first and then you rinse it to remove the soap. Then you go into a sanitizer step, which is typically you dip in a, in a dilute chlorine solution. And then most importantly, this is, this is one of the steps. It's the fourth step of the three steps, right? And that is air dry because if you take a dirty cloth, you rub that dirty cloth on that sanitized surface, you're going to undo all that, uh, that benefit of that sanitation. So many of these, and again, if it's an EPA, if it's a, if it's a hard surface sanitizer that you have purchased for that 
particular use, the directions about whether to air dry or not are are there on the label. And so your best bet in those cases is to, is to follow what it says on the label. So, so I think, um, we don't disagree on any points and we just, we emphasize different points. Oh, the only thing, other thing I would say is you talked about two different steps. I would say step, step zero is, uh, if somebody is sick with vomiting or diarrhea, realize that that's your highest risk scenario. And so the best thing to do, just like you want those people out of the restaurant, you want those people out of your classroom, right? So if somebody is sick with vomiting or diarrhea, um, you know, realize that they are spreading you know, that. Yes, you're mostly you're doing cleaning to handle just general background. But but if you have somebody that's actively shedding massive numbers of microorganisms, then you're going to have to take special precautions. That's a good that's a good point that I hadn't um hadn't thought about. And, and I think that's a message, not just in, in a school setting, but I, I would, I, it's something that I really try to reiterate when I talk to um, uh, industry folks, um, both on the like micro level, like if I was, um, if I was trying to communicate something to a restaurant manager themselves, uh, you know, we try to build this into the Safe Plates um, Food Manager Protection uh, program where it's like, you know, all bets are off if you've got a norovirus outbreak that's happening, right? Like if, and, 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 and all bets are off, you really have to change how you're handling things. If you have an employee that, that has reported illness, like everything, you, you really have to, to, uh, change your standard operating procedures to be not just routine, but now we have to have a heightened, uh, heightened focus. So yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's an awesome point, Don. This is why I do the podcast with you. Um, <laughs> Because I mean, really, if I could just do this on my own, it, I would. We it would just it would be boring. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you always you always forget stuff, right? Yeah. So and, and, yeah, and we come at these in, in two different ways. Um, okay, so the this is the teaser that uh, yep. deep 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 teachers gave us. Um, num you know number number two question is. What foods, no matter where you go, will you not eat because of food safety, not personal taste? Are there any foods that have high risk that you will still eat? This is one of my favorite food safety people questions, right? And and we have talked about this, but let's go. Yep. Let's, let's reiterate go. this um, sure. on, our, on our side of things. So you go. You you take this one first. I took the last two first. Okay, so I avoid pre-cut fruit on salad bars. I also don't tend to not eat the. Uh, the salad on airplanes. Again, not because I've necessarily gotten sick. I'm sure airplane food is quite safe. Thank you for that. Um, um, uh, what's his name? Um, the <laughs> guy. The guy used to be for craft. Work for Kraft Foods. Lives in Florida. Paul Hall. Paul Hall. Paul Hall. He works for a for a airline safety flying right. foods group or something. So so good job, Paul. Keep our keep our flying food safe. Um, uh, so <laughs> I forgot his name. Oh my gosh, that was I'm awesome. sure he doesn't. I'm sure he doesn't listen. No, former um, former IAFP uh, president. President, yes, yeah, exactly. Leader of the cult. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I really want some fresh cut fruit, I will choose something like pineapple, which I like, and also has a low pH, and so it's gonna it's not gonna support the growth of pathogens. Whereas uh, because of the pH, whereas um, um, watermelon or cantaloupe will. Um, one high-risk food that I actually ate this week, because I answered this while I was in France, was raw milk cheese. Uh, we visited a small goat farm 
They make cheese. Um, it was very interesting watching the woman uh, talk to us while her daughter uh, proceeded to play with the goats and carry the goats in and out of the pen. And then we walked in and, and the woman washed her hands. The daughter maybe washed or didn't wash her hands and then proceeded to handle the raw cheese. So anyway, there's that. Um, uh, so I did uh, ask some questions. The, the, the woman, uh, the, the owner of the goat farm, uh, did not speak English, but we had a good translator and I asked some questions. And they seemed to be doing a pretty good job, you know, touching with bare hands hands and hand washing aside. Um, so, uh, I ate some raw milk cheese, which I don't usually eat, um, with a small glass of Beaujolais wine, which, um, I told myself was reducing the risk. So, um, so that's the big one that I avoid. Uh, again, I've, I've talked about that. I don't, uh, eat sprouts, but I also don't like sprouts. I don't eat raw oysters, but I don't like raw oysters. Um, so the one thing that I do like, uh, that I tend to not eat if I'm not sure how it was handled is, is a cut fruit. So that's, that's my, that's my big one that I, that I avoid that, that, you know, probably, it's not it's not completely scientific um but i just i just don't eat it yeah yeah I'm, okay so the the only thing that i want to um address well two things one i how did how did you end up on a goat farm it was oh. this part of the cruise or was yes, this it was a cruise it was a cruise. that's it was, fascinating was, to me so this, yeah so so this this was this was i have to talk about this cuz this was the highlight of the cruise for me it was a day long thing and what we did and and i'll i'll, I'll i can i got to figure out how to share pictures i got a whole bunch of pictures on my iphone maybe i'll do something with google photos where i can share them but uh, let's see how did we start the day we started the day with we visited a winery uh, and and it was in Beaujolais a part of France that makes Beaujolais wine and so we visited a winery Sounds and it awesome. was really, really cool. And they, that was just a nice little, little winery and it was fun. And I had some great, actually I bought a bottle of wine, um, which I then, uh, took with me and shared, uh, with Linda Harris in not so, uh, uh, Pouillet Fisse uh, wine or something like that. And I'll, I'll butcher the name, but that's what that's anyway, it's a delightful white wine. Um, and then <clears throat> middle of a day, we went to a farm. Uh, it's a truffle farm. And I had a fascinating conversation with the guy who owns a truffle farm. He has a PhD. He actually worked at UC Davis for a while. He knew Trevor Suslow. Um, he was in like the plant sciences department or soil microbiology was his area. And he finally got fed up with academia and he just went, he's French and he moved back to France and he bought a truffle farm. And we met his dog, Chinook, who's a truffle hunting dog. And we, we hunted truffles and it was amazing. Um, this, and is, then, this, is, this is fascinating. Like, and I, then, and yeah. yeah, and then the last thing we did was we went to a goat farm, a raw milk uh, cheese goat farm, which is like so common um, uh, in in that part of France. And we had uh, some wonderful raw milk uh, goat cheese. And so that was that was that was a just a really fast, and it was a long ass day. It was the longest day of of any of the cruises and uh, cruise tours. And we left in the morning after breakfast and got home before dinner and ate lunch at this truffle farm. This guy, this truffle farm guy, he man, he was just like he just talked and talked and talked, and he just would have kept talking all day. And it was finally like. Like we had gone on a lot of tours and we talked to like the wine the wine tour guy who really didn't know anything about the microbiology of wine but this guy he's a friggin PhD right we could we just talked about everything and it was it was great and probably everybody else on the tour hated me cuz i was like this nerdy guy talking to this other nerdy guy and monopolizing the time so but whatever screw him <laughs> wow this this is that it's fascinating okay so um i uh, so i wonder about the mechanics of how like so how many cruises come by these places every week, right? Like is this one 
you know, one, one cruise a week comes by or there are five or six other cruise lines that are also stopping like uh, at these. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. Like, so, so there's multiple cruise lines, there's multiple tour guides. The, the, so the people on the boat work for the boat company, but then there's, there's contractors that basically do these local tours. Wow. And the woman that, that gave us this tour, she passed out a book at the beginning, like a laminated book about here's what we're going to do today. And the last page was, and here's my private email and my private phone number. And I also do private tours on the side. And so probably, yeah, probably she has a gig where every day she's meeting a different boat and doing variations on the same tour. And and that's what the job of the tour guide is, is they have local connections and they have connections to the boats and they'll put together a package, right? That they'll market to the cruise line and the cruise line will say, okay, we'll take one from column A, one from column B or whatever. And so there's these, so that they don't work for the cruise companies, right? Um, but they, but they're like a contractor. Oh, another thing have to say so huge huge props to this woman long day lots of fun getting get off the bus walking to the ho- walking to the hotel well walking to the back to the boat and I'm like well crap where are my sunglasses and I'm looking at my prescription sunglasses and I'm looking through my backpack and about the time that I have done an exhaustive search of my backpack I realize I have left my sunglasses on the bus I turn around I go to walk towards the bus and the bus is pulling away oh, no. and I'm like, well, shoot, you know, they're old sunglasses. I probably need a new prescription, but damn, I don't, now I don't have any sunglasses for the rest of the trip. I'm really bummed out. And so I walk back to the boat and the tour guide is there and I have a conversation with her. She's like, oh, no problem. Um, I will text the bus driver. I will let him know, um, there's buses. This bus company is going to be coming back tomorrow. Even if he doesn't come back, I'll tell me where you were sitting. I'll have him search for the sunglasses. And then lo and behold, the next morning as we're leaving the boat, this is right at the end of the tour. As we're leaving the boat, the wonderful uh, uh, lady on the on, that works for the boat company says, hey, um, I, I wasn't part of the conversation, but I did overhear you having a conversation about sunglasses. And a bus driver came and brought me some sunglasses. Are these your sunglasses? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, those are my sunglasses. So, yeah. So, anyway, so more more cruise uh, safety talk. But, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, it was, was, was a wonderful, uh, day and, and it ended badly. And then they, they came back and they saved it the next day. Wow. So, it was really, so anyway, that, that kind of stuff, <sighs> like fascinating, like, this, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, just to, to, to come back to, um, to deep teachers question, um, with the, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. W- but this is good. Uh, with the, uh, w- with the cheese that you tasted, was that, I mean, it's, it's a soft cheese, so it's not, a, not a hard cheese, but, and with, it was goat cheese, right? So it's not like it's aged. So that's, that would be pretty like, oh, well, so here we go. So yeah. there's actually, I have pictures, right? There's okay. four different kinds of cheeses. Um, there is the fresh cheese that is barely aged a day. Okay. okay? There's more aged, like three to four days. Okay. Cheap. And then there's two different long cheeses. One, they do a, um, <clears throat> low humidity, longer time. And that turns into more of a, it's not really like a, at all like a cheddar, but it is a, it is a dry cheese. Oh, okay. gotcha. Then they do a low temperature, high relative humidity, uh, with a cheese that's inoculated. That's a, like a Roquefort. Like they they do a mold inoculum and it's like a Roquefort. And so one cheese that they make and then they, they handle it four different ways and they, and then they do various, like, like, you know, encrust the outside with various things and, and do various flavors and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so, so it's one, one process, but then they fork it like four different ways. That's great. Okay. So, yeah. so, so even right there, like, and so you tasted them all 
Um, or did you? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Taste them all. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, even even right there, just going back to the to the question, those are, there are probably some different risk profiles, and and you know they're just historically we've looked at the you know aging sixty days of cheese being a magic number that and we know that there are no magic numbers um and dennis d'amico we can we can link to his um his uh page at university of connecticut i think is he's probably done the the best up-to-date work on this question of um you know profiles of cheeses that are that are aged and what those what the risk uh well what the microbiology looks like not not getting into the the risk assessment or risk management decisions but dennis does a lot of a lot of great work at, at connecticut um, so, all right, I'm going to go back and answer this in a, in a kind of a similar way. So the foods, I, I also, um, I also avoid cut fruit and cut vegetables, um, and salads quite a bit in places that I'm not preparing it. Um, and, and I'll, you, I think you, you kind of hit on the, the cut fruit, um, differences. I do, I, I will, um, eat, um, uh, pineapple and strawberries almost every time that I see that at some sort of a buff- buffet. Um, but the melons and, um, and, and everything else I, I pretty much stay away from, um, cause of pH reasons. Um, I, I, I am really more, um, uh, I'm really more focused on, um, like leafy greens than I, than I have been in the past. Um, and I, I'm like, I think still, I'm not, I think I'm still off of romaine. I'm still off of most cut leafy greens, except for like arugula, um, and spinach. I'm eating quite a bit of those. Um, and for no like real reason other than I like them. Um, and I'm learning, I, I used to not like arugula too much. Now I'm moved in the last year to like, I really want it. Um, but like maybe a more interesting answer to the question, um, for deep teacher is the food that I eat the most that I think is the riskiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's cilantro. And we've talked about mm. this in yep. the past. It is one that I, I can't, um, I can't cut out of my diet. I really like the flavor. We eat a lot of um, cilantro-based foods, whether that be like Mexican-inspired or um, you know. Increasingly, we're getting um, Blue Apron with like Asian-inspired food uh, um, meals, and they're they're rice dishes that that come with noodles that we are just adding like cilantro to. Um, quite a bit, uh, just cause of the, of the flavor. And it's probably the one, so, um, that I eat the most. I, I, I'm with you, Don. I don't eat, um, uh, Sprite, Sprouts, Sprites, uh, Sprouts or sprouts oysters. Or sprites. Yeah. Um, but mainly because of like, I just don't like those foods. Um, but the, the one that, that I am like, I find like kind of fascinating and this came up at IAFP a couple of years ago in a session and, um, and you see it on, on, cause we've got the food safety nerds on our Facebook. Um, all the people that we, that we know through IAFP, there are lots of people that choose to eat raw oysters cause they really like them. And I wonder how they reconcile that, that risk, uh, decision, right? Like, and is it a, um, like how do they make that decision? Um, is it a, well, I'm playing the numbers game and it, you know, it's likely not to, to make me sick. And it goes back to the, 
um, one of the other questions that Deep Teacher has, which is, is it a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing? Like, would would the same person recommend, you know, to a, 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 a just an everyday consumer, don't don't eat raw oysters, but then they go and eat it themselves? Um, and so again, I don't. We're not going to be able to answer this, um, but I'm I'm continuously fascinated by that um, by that situation. And, and we all, you know, a, another common thread of food safety talk is we all make our own risk decisions, but I just, I want to know more about how that risk decision is made. And I don't, I don't have an answer to that. Do you have any insights? How do people, I mean, this is like our friend, Michelle Danilik. I think she's an oyster eater every once in a while. Yeah. So what was the question? <laughs> how do you, how do I make decisions about food safety? No. How do others make decisions oh. about how do people, so you and I, we don't eat raw oysters because we don't like them. Right. But there are people in the food safety world that eat raw oysters because they like them. Oh and, yeah. And, well, and, and, <laughs> and how do they make that decision? Well, and my wife brings this up every time. Um, like we were in Finland, uh, for a meeting and, um, they had reindeer tartare and uh, Katie Swanson ate some and I ate some, um, and my wife didn't. And she's like, how could you eat that? And it's like, well, it was smoked and it was good. I didn't eat too much and I didn't die. So I didn't get sick. So, you know, it's, I think it really depends upon, it's like a risk, risk trade-off. Like, it's like, how much am I going to enjoy this? How much, what's my feeling about what's the overall food safety? Like, like I went to the cheese farm, right? And I looked and I said like, well, okay, it's a small amount of cheese. Um, uh, it's towards the end of the cruise. So I suppose if I get sick, it's, you know, I'm going to be maybe not stuck on the boat. Um, uh, I'm going to have a small glass of wine, which is going to help to reduce the risk. Um, they did, other than the kid handling the goats, um, you know, and maybe not washing her hands, they were relative. And I didn't eat the one that her, you know, the, the kid touched. That was going to be somebody to, in a couple of days from now is going to get that one. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> so it just didn't, you know, it just didn't, I mean, you know, I didn't do like a calculation, but it's like, well, you know, I, it's probably fine, you know, and if right, it's not right. fine, well, that's, you know, shame on me. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't live your, you can't live your life, um, you know, in a, in a bubble. Right. I mean, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Right. But, and, and I think that's like your, your, um, your experience is more like a, a unique one, right? Like, like, Oh, okay, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's not every day you're going to a goat farm and, right. and so it's like, okay, I'm, 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 you know, I'm part of this, but I, I think the, the raw oyster question is, is more like, okay, it's an every, not an everyday but maybe a more common food for people that that do choose to eat it, and I wonder, like how, how, how they, wh what their decision making is like. And I, I can tell you how what my decision making would be if it was a food that I really really liked, I I'd probably not eat it just based on data, like and 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 like vib like risk of vibrio and my concerns around around that. Um, I would try to find something else. I would just like not, but that's, that's how I did ad like address it. I think there are people out there that, that don't, that are making a different decision. And I'm just interested in how they make that decision. Yeah. 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 Good question. Um, and we will, so I did find actually a link to, uh, a page that talks about this truffle farm and uh, you can see a picture of the, I'm trying to find the guy's name cause I want to Google his, uh, his scientific CV, but I, I can't find his name, but there is a picture of the uh, truffle farmer and his, uh, his wonderful dog. So we'll, we'll link to that. And we'll also link to Dennis D'Amico because um, you mentioned him. So. We yeah. And we like Dennis. We do. We do. All right. He's one of the good ones. Um, is, all right. Is. Okay, go. I want, I'm interested. i got to find the right one. Um, there it is. Um, Deep Snake is the one I want to talk about because you talked a little bit about this. Yes. But I want to go into more, some more details. 
Yes. Okay. So um, the, uh, this is from, from Deep Snake. Um, hey, guys, big fan of the show. Since it was just a pod, dot, 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 cast. I love that that's made it. Um, uh-huh. Hoping you can settle a bet that I'm never going to win with my wife. Um, when we get fresh fruit into the house, I'm usually, I usually wash it or prep it for slicing or eating, but my wife is insistent on using the, the veggie fruit wash. I know I get a decent reduction on all the bad stuff by washing it down, but does that spray do anything? Can you tell by the label if it's snake oil or would snake oil be better thing to wash it with, which is, (laughs) which is the best. Um, thanks again for the show. Um, and so the, the link that, that, um, that I think, uh, deep, deep snake gave us was something called, um, actual veggie wash. And I don't know who makes it. Um... Oh, it's, yeah, I did some research on this. So it's, uh, it's a company that's in, that's based in Georgia. Um, and let's see. So it is, you can find that on Amazon. It's called veggie wash. Um, it's sold. Let's see. The company is, um, yeah, I looked for this one a while ago. Yeah, we uh, have this. We can get this in the grocery store. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's we can get it at Wegmans, too. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Well, just just Google veggie wash and yeah. you'll find it. So. And I'll, I'll read the description. Um, yep. Veggie wash, all natural fruit and vegetable wash is a great choice for you and your family. Combat agricultural chemicals that aren't washed off by rain and irrigation. Remove coated wax on your fruits and vegetables <laughs> before they get into your kitchen table. Safely remove soil, agricultural chemicals, and handling residue. Found Handling residue is a really interesting one, right? Um, mm-hmm. Found on both standard and organic fruits and vegetables. A standard fruit. I think they mean conventional. Cut through wax and chemicals and rest assured that your fruits and vegetables are safely clean. Veggie wash has been a favorite for more than 15 years because it's effective and safe. Stop rinsing and start cleaning with veggie wash. Interesting in this description, um, the features and details basically reiterates this stuff. Wax, soil, agricultural chemicals, handling residue. Um, Don, nowhere in the veggie wash uh, um, description does it say anything about bacteria or viruses. Yep. Right? Just says uh, handling residue. Uh, cut through that wax uh, and remove the agricultural chemicals. Um, yeah. And so the, right. the web, the website is veggie wash.com. And uh, if you go to that website, you'll see that it says in addition to agricultural chemicals and other residues, comma, 20 or more strangers may have handled your fruit or vegetable before you put it in your mouth. That's <laughs> all it says. There you it go. doesn't say, it doesn't say what those 20 people are doing. It doesn't say what veggie wash is going to do about the, whatever those 20 or more people have done to it. It just makes a statement that is unsupported, right? And this, and, and we will also link to a paper, um, from, um, 2006. And this is from Sandy Godwin's lab at Tennessee state. Um, and, uh, basically the, the title of the article is efficacy of home washing methods in controlling surface microbial contamination on fresh produce. And they, uh, this was published in 2005 and they, uh, basically looked at veggie wash and, um, essentially from my reading of their article, veggie wash was no different than plain water. Yep. So there you go. And snake oil. Yeah, snake oil. And well, and so, you know, on efficacy when it comes to things that you and I are interested in, right? Like that's the thing. And so right. you could make, you could do a good job marketing it to like this does stuff for everything. Um, but when it comes to uh, safety on pathogen, you know, related to pathogens, like, yeah, it doesn't really do anything. And it's like, oh, I, I clicked off of it here. Uh, but I want to read the ingredients because it's really kind of interesting on that where it's, um, water, 
Cleaners made from corn, palm, and coconut, citrus oil, sodium citrate, a derivative of citrus fruit, which is really our, you know, uh, a source of citric acid, uh, glycerin, grapefruit seed extract, and that's grapefruit seed extract is probably like to use the ester to make it smell like it's um, citrusy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says tomatoes, potatoes, grapes, apples, etc. And I, mean, I think I that that's like not the ingredients. I think that's no, like no, the that's, last pro- that's information. So you're you're reading from the Amazon page. I am. I the am. printout of the Amazon page. And uh, yeah, this is just this is just basically uh, somebody captured the text from the label and dumped it into uh, Amazon. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I mean, really, what you're looking at, if you want to do something that, if you want to buy something much cheaper than Veggie Wash and make it at home, even though it's not any more effective than water. Um, you could just get a little bit of uh, grapefruit juice and or some powdered um, um, uh, sodium citrate. Yeah, and you know if you, I, I would encourage people to. I would first of all, I would encourage people not to buy this. Okay? Yeah. And second of all, um, I would encourage people to go to the veggie-wash.com uh, page and just take a look at the other stuff that they sell. They sell Citrus Magic. They sell Veggie Wash. They, they sell Clearly Natural, Dermatone, Farmer's Market, Citrus 2, Tree Wax, Brilliant, Grease Monkey Wipes, Bug Band, Hero Clean. Um, Bug Band is the official uh, is is a mosquito repellent. Um, bug Band and, 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 and <laughs> Bug Band. Bug Band. <laughs> oh dear! That's um, one of my favorite bits from someone else. Yes, from another show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bag. Uh, yeah. So um, anyway, that's funny to like five people. <laughs> I know it's it's good though. It makes it's funny to us. That's what we we really um, just do the show for us. For us, exactly. Uh, yeah. So anyway, they make a whole bunch of crap uh, that uh, I mean that literally. They make a whole bunch of crap that it, probably none of it works, but makes people feel good because it's uh, it's natural, right? Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, okay, I got Dom. We have an opportunity here, and I don't know if you, uh, we're you and I are always looking for opportunities, um, and so uh, this one came, uh, you know, directly to you. So I again, I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little bit, a little bit of FOMO on this. Uh, mm. Fear missing out, but anyway, you got a you got a message uh, from Hyacinth with uh, with thought leaders. <laughs> oh yes. Um. And uh, anyway, this is this is good. So um, for those uh, who have listened to this entire podcast, your your goal is to go back and listen to it again and find out if we actually did this. Um, <laughs> uh, the message, the opportunity is: we're looking for partners to promote our clients' products and services, which include educational slash business tools, software, lifestyle brands, etc. Preferably, quote baked in message in the middle of the podcast. Uh, if you'd be interested in promoting our clients, please let us know and include your standard prices, um, smiley face. Uh, <laughs> so a baked-in message, is that – maybe we, maybe that's what we just did. Uh, the big, I don't know who their clients are, but I just, this is such a weird one. Um, so I think the baked-in message is like, um, uh, let me tell you about a product that I like. Or is it just to mention a product over and over again and really bake it in there, just bake it, <laughs> bake it right in? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, it makes me think of uh, makes me think of the uh, the the famous John Stewart movie Half Baked. Yes, yes. Or mixed nuts. You know, maybe maybe we could do a half baked in. 
uh, half-baked in message. Half um, in. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I don't know if you know this, Ben. I, I didn't copy you. Uh, I didn't forward it to you. But Hyacinth has uh, circled back. Oh, she's checking in. Checking in. I look- just checking in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I did not uh, I did not respond to Hyacinth, and I marked her message as spam um, at, uh, both times that she sent it. So Hyacinth, I've found her on on, on LinkedIn. Oh, is she on LinkedIn? Yeah, and she has had quite the um, uh, work experience. So she's a manager of Thought Leaders Partnerships at Thought Leaders. Um, she was an ESL teacher, um, and she was the organic lead generation and business development manager. Uh, yeah, lots of, lots so of is that like, are, are, like leads for organic produce or I think so Out, yeah. outsource marketing specialist for, for restaurant.com outsource leads, thought leaders, lots of all the buzzes. Oh, she is a, she's quite a thought leader. Yes. A lot of, a lot of buzzes. Anyway, a lot uh, of thoughts, a lot, a lot of leads, a lot of, opt- a lot of opportunities baked. Oh, lots, lots of ins and outs. Lots, it's, and it's baked right in. It's baked right in. <laughs> um, Ah, all right. What else? What else we have here? Um, we skipped over something here. Uh, phone. Oh, oh so well, you've got yes. stuff that I can't read because it's in Twitter, and there's a phone disinfection feedback and a deep vaxer feedback. Oh, um, and it's just yeah. the, it's just the tweet. It's just a, it's just a bird. <laughs> it's a little birdie. Oh dear, that's going to be hard to understand, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, look, I look forward to your explanation. <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's do some feedback from Deep Crimson, um, which I can read. Uh, and yeah, so so I've, we've had I've had an interesting back and forth with longtime listener, um, long 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 email sender, um, uh, Deep Crimson, who works at a uh, another institution, another um, uh, university. Uh, you might be able to figure out from the name. Um, and, and we had, and so we, they, at their university, they use, um, the, uh, product victory that we also use, which is made by Ecolab, um, which is, you know, full disclaimer, um, I've done some work for them. Um, friend of the pod uh, cast, uh, Ruth Petran, who is who's have, we haven't mentioned in a while. We probably could be good to mention her. Um, uh, she works for EcoLab, um, and and this is an interesting product. And it is a uh, again and, and talk about fresh fresh produce sanitizers. We've actually tested it, uh, and it does work better than just plain water, um, uh, based on the work that we did in my laboratory. Never never published any of it. I don't think we published any of it, but but it's but it's but it, you know it's 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 reputable. Um, and the question was about, do you need to wash, um, stuff in, uh, sanitizer that you're going to cook? And, and the answer is, of course, is no. Um, if, if the the food code does, interestingly, uh, the food code does require that you, um, wash fresh fruits and vegetables in water, um, again, probably for the removal of uh, grit and debris. I don't know exactly why that's in the code, but anyway, that's in the code. Um, and yeah, if it's if it's for fresh um, uh, consumption, for ready-to-eat consumption, uh, then yeah, you can use a product like uh, the um, um, uh, uh, Victory, uh, which is the, the trade name of the Ecolab uh, product that uses uh, peroxyacetic acid, uh, which is a pretty good pretty good sanitizer. So anyway, some interesting. Ba- I don't I don't, I don't really think we have time to go into it in full detail, but uh, yeah, again, just uh, we appreciate when people share us their their stories from the field and frustrations that they have in trying to communicate food safety to people maybe they don't understand. So uh, yeah, so so uh, interesting discussions around fresh produce sanitizer. So it's been it's been a whole fresh produce sanitizer themed episode uh right today ben right 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 and and just to follow up this uh feedback from deep crimson uh, 
excuse me, I'm a little stuffed up, uh, reminded me of um, an exchange. So we, we talked a little bit about the LGMA in the last um, uh, last episode um, and sanitizing water. And, and just as like a brief little bit of follow-up that was from offline was that uh, someone who is in the food industry who might buy uh, products from LGMA um, was uh, sort of asked a question of a few of us about details and saying, you know, it's very, I think, cynically looking at, at the same um, uh, announcement that, that you and I discussed in, in the last episode and said, you know, some of the, my fellow buyers of, of these LGMA products are, are looking at this as like, man, this is, this is a godsend. This is the, we, we've been waiting for this. And now everybody, it, all of our, all of our leafy greens, um, problems are fixed and maybe I'm being really trite with the, with the, um, my paraphrasing, but that, you know, basically looking at it as a real positive and, and this individual emailed and said, uh, or sent a message somehow and said, um, it, you know, I, do I, should I still be skeptical of this? And, and I think, you know, the, I, I answered it and then, and you kind of chimed in that, yeah, it's, um, there aren't enough details and maybe the science isn't there to catch up with what, um, what's actually been, um, uh, promised or stated. Um, and, and I, I want to, there's someone else who was on these messages and I want to, um, I don't want to call this individual out, but also added a piece of information that, that I think you and I missed in our last discussion of it, which is, yeah, this isn't maybe the best way to go about it, but we all need to be involved in this discussion. Like it's not to say, um, just to sort of turn it off and say, uh, you say you're going to sanitize water, um, and either we believe it or we don't believe it, or we want to know details, but you're not going to provide it, but it needs, we need to still have collaboration and conversation about it, not just sort of like be really cynical and turn away. So I just wanted to get that message up there. Yeah. Um, so, so I have no yeah. idea what TJ Fulton's infection feedback was. So, um, yeah. So I, I don't know what that is about. Oh, we can t- we can talk about um, uh, Instapod as lab equipment. Uh, yes, we can. Uh, it seems like, uh, and I, uh, this was in in the Twitter as well. Was this a good this a good link? Uh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, people are um, using Instapot to um, uh, as an autoclave. Yes, <laughs> and and it seems to work. Which yes. is kind of cool. Yes, yep. <laughs> well, that was a good that was a good segment. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, there are okay. So there are a couple things um, like that we haven't that weren't from feedback that I wanted to sure. um, to to touch Go for on. It. Um, so one one was and, and this is entitled Cato Foods again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's uh, an outbreak um, linked to um, a, a um, Cato Foods, which is a uh, a melon pr- uh, processing facility in Indianapolis, um, and they had a, an outbreak of salmonella in 2018, and then another outbreak of salmonella uh, right now going on in 2019 for uh, fresh cut watermelon, fresh cut honeydew, and fresh cut cantaloupe. And so um, there, there seems to be it's it's kind of um, it's kind of interesting that we we have the same processor who who is you know a, a relatively large uh processor when it comes to to cut cantaloupe um being linked to a, 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 a another outbreak and and it's interesting in the sense where these outbreaks to me are yes it's all coming from through Cato foods uh or these two at least but 
the the issue is lar- is is probably um, linked to production practices, and and so 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 we we look at Keto Foods as being the node, but it the the source is coming from uh, their the you know their suppliers. But it raises a question of how are you evaluating your suppliers and um, and and tell us more information of okay well we require them to do good agricultural practices and and we're you know following the produce safety uh, uh, rule and and all that kind of stuff but what what is it um, let's get down to the to the nitty gritty of of what what are the what are your suppliers actually doing and and what kinds of additional questions beyond the regulations and the best practices should this business, since they've been hit twice now with outbreaks, what should they be doing differently? Um, and I, I mean, not, not, I don't have an not answer. selling anything to me if, if, if yeah. I can find out who they are. Right. That, that's and that's the problem is like it, it. You know, if you go to the store and you look for fresh produce, it, it probably doesn't say Cato Foods. Right. I mean, right. it's probably a store brand thing. So, yeah, I, uh, I you know, anything, any bad things can happen to anybody once. Uh, but the fact that this has happened twice now uh, to the same company, I, I'm going to be I'm going to be a little worried. Right. Well, and. And, and this, you know, to, to put our our, our uh, retail and food service friends on blast a little bit on this, it's like is is Cato Foods like if if you were to not buy from them because you weren't sure about their food safety, um, and how, what they're asking their suppliers, do we just not have like what does that do to the market? Like do we right. just not have right. like, like are balance? they are yeah. they fifty percent of the market? Are they ten percent yeah. of the oh market? Are they one percent? Yeah. Ah, sorry, don't don't click on ah, go away. Don't click on on CNN websites. That's for sure. Oof. That talk yeah, about or, or, foods. You know, yeah. You and you. There's probably a way that you can turn that off in Safari. I'm so sure, there is. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just didn't do that. Um, um, yeah. So we'll link to the food poisoning journal article, um, uh, Marla's website that says Cato Foods fruit salmonella outbreak jumps to one seventeen sick in ten states with thirty two hospitalized. This is bad. Yeah. Second salmonella outbreak in the last two years. Uh, Shame on you, Cato Foods. What are you doing? What are you doing wrong? Well, and I look, I look forward to um, one of the. So I had a conversation with someone who does um, communications around recalls recently, um, and uh, this person used to work for um, a federal agency that was involved in that world. And I, again, I'm protecting the innocent today. But one of the things that we talked about was um, the uh, federal. Um, approach to sharing information about what happens during after during an outbreak after an outbreak investigation releasing reports that are really detailed that's something that that was really introduced to us um really uh, strikingly during the obama um era and it continues today we still get really good outbreak reports and so i look forward to the Cato Foods investigation information that we get to look at what what happened in 2018, what happened in 2019, how did things change or not change, um, and and this is a um, a like a common thread um, going back to something that you said about you know getting get and it can happen to somebody once, but when it happens multiple times, what did you do to address it, and um, if anything, and. Um, it's the thing that I look for when I talk to 
um, restaurants about food safety. It's like, what did you, what did you do the last three times on the, on your inspection? And did you fix the things that the inspector said, or you still having hand washing issues or temperature control issues? And this is the, you know, the, the same kind of thing. It's, it's like, if you have a supplier issue that was identified in 2018 or a cross contamination, um, issue that was identified in 2018 with, in the cutting process, what, what, what did you do to change things before this 2019 outbreak or did you change it at all? And so that's what I look forward to. In, in yeah, the other that. the other thing that I've started doing too is going to the uh, foodprotection.org, the IAFP website, and searching for the company name in the membership database. Oh, yes. And there there is one person, uh, there is one person we won't reveal their name, who is a division manager for Cato Food Service in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, um, who uh, is apparently an IAFP member. But um, yeah, so it's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but they probably don't listen to the podcast. Hey, hey, uh, 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 anonymous person with the initials AA. Uh, if you do listen, uh, please email us and let us know what's uh, going on. Yeah, give us some give us some details. Absolutely. Um, Tweet us the deets. Um, hey, so speaking of <laughs> speaking of tweeting, um, I did find uh, what. Uh, thank goodness I put TJ. So this is from uh, friend of the pod uh, cast uh, TJ Luoma. Uh, he says, "Okay, Doctor Don, Doctor Don." Real talk, can something like this really make your phone cleaner? Seems like voodoo to me, UV rays, but then again, I'm not a scientist. Maybe it's entirely plausible, and I am just a dunderhead. And so we will link to TJ's tweet, and we will also link to the uh, his Amazon link. So this is I. This is Phone Soap 3 UV cell phone sanitizer and dual universal cell phone charger. Uh, patented and clinically proven UV light sanitizer cleans and charges all i all phones white. Um, <laughs> I will I will send you this, um, and uh, you can you can give me your thoughts um, once you read the article. Um, it is or once you read the website with the the Amazon page. Um, it is fifty nine ninety five. Okay. Okay. So <clears> that's, um, that's what's in my it's in my uh, price uh, range price point. Okay. Um, yeah, it's as seen on Shark Tank and Discovery Channel. Like uh, their revolutionary bacteria zapping technology was featured on Shark Tank and tested and proven on the Discovery Channel. Kills 99.99% of bacteria with UV light. Our patented design is the only device that can completely sanitize your entire phone sitting on a UV transparent plate and surrounded by scientifically proven germicidal UVC light and a reflective interior. Phone soap kills 99.99% of all bacteria on your phone. Um, I, I'd save your money. Um, your phone's not that dirty anyway. Um, you should clean it with maybe a little bit of, uh, water, you know, carefully don't get the water inside it. That's not good for your phone. Um, maybe use an alcohol wipe if you're really worried, but I don't spend your money on this no. would be my advice. I agreed. Um, Four and a half stars, 714 customer reviews, 325 answered questions. Comes in a lot of different colors. Am Amazon's choice for phone soap comes in, oh, comes in black, comes in white, comes in gold, light gold, orchid, periwinkle, sand, and silver. Oh, man. Um... Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think this is uh, really. Uh, it's not worth sixty bucks. No, it, it's got a nice little. Looks like a lightsaber that's stuck in there. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, it's got a little. Periwinkle is a nice color. Yeah, it's a little bed. A little bed for my phone. 
Yeah. Um, so, okay, so even if this did kill 99.99% of bacteria with the, like, at all, um, would, so I'm, I'm really interested. We should figure out on the proven, right? Like, how do they do this? Let's look at the study. Because my guess mm. is, Dawn, this is, this is just it. I think that they put some uh, a pathogen on it. Maybe they put, um, or no pathogen, they just put, like, uh, I don't know, some sort of surrogate. And then it dried out, and, and you got a two-log reduction just from drying. And then you got another mm. two-log reduction from UV light. But yeah. you could have got that same two-log reduction from UV light by, like, leaving it outside for 20 minutes. Yeah. So, so you should, and people should read the, 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 the uh, reviews. Um, doesn't work properly. One star doesn't work properly after four months. I really love this product. Four months later, it does not work properly. Um, we had our doubts, but bought this along with a set of auger plates to test for ourselves. We swabbed my daughter and husband's phones before and after use. It does work. We are very happy with the product. Um, another one star, that was a five star review forced a one star review, poor quality and not smart. Um, <laughs> I really wanted to like this device. It has two problems. One's a design problem. The other is a quality issue. Uh, it's not always turning on when the lid is closed. Um, uh, the unit is designed to turn on when the lid is closed. Uh, the problem is when it's done cleaning your phone, you take it out and close the lid. So it starts working again for another 10 minutes. Um, doesn't close properly and now doesn't work. Um, yeah. So, uh, I have a bio degree, so I ex get excited about things like this and had to check it out. Five stars. I was skeptical at first, but I have a bio degree. Got a bio degree. <laughs> I got a bio degree. Uh, I'm looking, I'm, you know uh, what, I'm yeah. going to, we should I, follow up on this. I want to know. <laughs> Product questions. How do I set it? I got. We need some data. We need some data. I want to know how well, you already got. You already got data from Ginger. She has. She has. She's a. She's got a. She's got a auger plates. I'm watching, before and after. I'm watching Shark Tank. It's if you go to their website, um, <laughs> they got a Shark Tank. I'm gonna watch that. I'm going to. Um, I'm gonna email them and find out if they can share the clinical. Oh. How they clinically clinical proved, trials. Yeah. How they <laughs> clinically proved it because that's what it says. Why nice. phone soap. And this is the phone nice. soap three, right? Yeah. Like this. Is... Imagine how how much better it is than the one and the two. Yeah. Whatever, Don. Whatever your hands touch, your phone collects. Like a. Um. Like no, a... <laughs> but okay. Um. Whatever. Your hand, that's, sure it doesn't. That's doesn't what it collect. Says. No, it doesn't. It's got it a collect. It's a collector. It's Are, a. You know? Did you know, Ben? Your phone's eighteen times dirtier than a public toilet. <laughs> it's. Do you know? If you ever... get so dirty because we take them into places like restrooms and wash our hands, but never our phone. Wait a minute. If it's eight times times dirtier than a toilet, how does it get dirty by taking it in the toilet? Shouldn't shouldn't the, shouldn't the the phone be contaminating the toilet? Right. If it's eighteen times dirtier, I, I don't know how bacteria work, Ben. But I, I don't know. But did you? This is maybe my favorite dish in your pocket. Oh God, TJ. Thank you so much for sending this, uh, TJ. This has been a lot of fun. Yes. Um, I, and I apologize that something weird happens when I try to print stuff from Twitter to save it. So I'm really glad that I saved it with your name and and uh, I, I found it again. So thank you, TJ. Before before we leave it, I want to leave you yeah. with this thought. Yeah. Um, the phone, uh, your phone is the third hand you never wash. <laughs> Do you ever? Th oh, whoa, whoa, you just blew my mind. It's your third. It's your third. Yeah, it's the third hand. The third hand. There we go. All right. Um, oh, okay. So I had one more thing. Oops. I'm texting you that. Uh, hey, you're in France and like Kanye, uh, West, that's a, that's a reference to, to Kanye West. Uh, um, did you know, <laughs> did you know there was a uh, an outbreak, uh, deli slicer outbreak? Did you hear about this? 
No. Yeah, this is a good one. Okay, I'm going to send you this. Um, I wanted to talk to you about it uh, from uh, April 17th. So I think that was maybe when you were on the plane. I think you were leaving. Uh, leaving on a jet plane. Le- leaving on a jet plane. Um, I'm a good. Yep. Hurry up with my damn croissants. That's a. That's another. <laughs> it's, an, it's another Kanye West uh, reference. Uh, uh, yeah. Huh. Um, a total of eight. In fact, uh, people infected with uh, um, an outbreak strain of Listeria monocytogenes from four states. All eight were hospitalized and one death in Michigan. Um, the uh, in, in interviews. Oh yes, I did hear about this. this. A, yes, it, apparently it's deli meats, Ben. Well, and stop eating deli meats. So I don't know, Don. This is what I want to tell you. I don't know if it's deli meats or here's the more fun one. It is meats and cheeses sliced at deli counters. It's deli slicers, Don. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's not a specific and this is this is yeah. like a great like I mean, this is a terrible outbreak, right? Like we have a mm. we have a death, but it's it's a it's a great example of cleaning and sanitizing and 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 the the, the intricacies of a foodborne illness outbreak, which is where is this right? Do people get sick? Is this a home based outbreak? Because that's what people want to know, right? Do people get sick from restaurants? <clears throat> well, they got sick in their home because they bought a food that was sliced at a retail store, and the the factor that led to these illnesses, probably based on the epidemiology, is cleaning and sanitizing of a deli slicer. And I had a conversation around the same time that this this came out. Um, this outbreak uh, um, note from CDC came out with somebody who is well-versed because of their job in cleaning and sanitizing deli slicers. And um, the, this is the message that I got, which is something that probably won't surprise you. Don, it's really easy to clean a food contact surface on a deli slicer. It's really hard to clean a non-food contact surface on a deli slicer. And the non-food contact surface on the deli slicer is probably where the listeria likes to live. Yep, and and so so I'm, I'm I want to link to this. I'm going to link to um, a, a paper uh, that was. Um, let me see if I can get this really quickly. Um, well, you, yeah. So you look for that. Let me let me yeah. talk for a minute. So I also want to link to the um, uh, FDA risk assessment uh, for listeria and deli slicers because it's a really complicated and, and cool bit of modeling um, done by a uh, colleague, uh, Regis Puyo, who who does not work for FDA anymore. Um, and uh, the, I'm I'm looking at the on the CDC page. I'm looking at the map. Uh, there's three cases right. in Pennsylvania. There's two cl- cases each in New York and Michigan and one case in New Jersey. So this is not, I think, a single deli slicer no. in a single state. This is probably multiple deli slicers contaminated by maybe one batch of product. And then and then it persisted in the deli. Sli- this is this is fascinating, right? Like this is a this is a weird outbreak. Exactly. Yes. And so um, <clears throat> let me find this. So that. Yeah, that's so. What, how does, how does something like this happen? Um, as a, like, as a guess, um, I think oh, and this is, this is, this is, so this is, this is, th- these cases range from November 13th, 2016 to March 4th, 2019. Yep. Okay. Uh, median age is 57. So excuse a little bit old, um, but not like super old. Um, this is bizarre, so, right? So- like this is a, this is a very slow, low, 
outbreak. It's happened over years, obviously linked back to a single sore, a single uh, microorganism. But probably, I mean, where did these? I want to know where did these eight people shop, right? Yep. And I, and what what do we know about the slicers? Yep. And um and and so do we have a uh. Do we have a source? So, so my here's my my guess. Not being the investigator, not having all the data in front of me, my guess is you have one. You've got one company that makes something that gets sliced on a slicer, whether that be a cheese or um, a, a meat, and they have a listeria issue over over time, and it's sporadic. It's not all the time. It's not every batch. Something happens in their processing facility that that this listeria rears its head. And then it goes to a deli counter, and it gets sliced, and it contaminates that slicer, and that slicer gets cleaned. And this is the second thing that I sent you, somewhat infrequently. So um, there is a really nice piece of work that was done by uh, Laura Brown and colleagues at mm. CDC. Um, Laura Green-Brown. Laura Green-Brown. Laura, Laura Colors uh, from SNET. Um, and uh, it's a, a paper... Um, uh, that came out in um, MMWR, which uh, just a little ding for that. Best uh, weekly publication. Uh, retail deli slicer, retail deli slicer cleaning frequency. Six selected sites, U.S. 2012. And so the the quick um, and, and dirty um, summary is um, they uh, and there was a paper, there's a table, so blah blah blah. Um, they interviewed um, frontline deli staff and managers about their frequency of cleaning and sanitizing um, deli slicers. And and so they asked about disassembled, clean, and sanitized. Um, And there is a food code specified minimum frequency of every four hours. And so what, what they found was half of the managers, about half, reported that they did it every four hours, and about half of the workers reported they did it every four hours, a little less than half. And a little more than half said it was less frequent than that. Um, and, uh, and, and and so uh, deli slicer cleaning is really tough, and it doesn't get done um, as per food code, um, even in self-reported uh, amounts where people might be a little optimistic. That only we're only looking at the best case scenario. About half the time, people are make, making that um, meeting that that uh, best practice. And so, so you know, going back to theory, uh, contamination in this sliced item gets into the slicer, then cross contaminates or grows or um, is in that slicer, and it makes it. We now have another complicating factor of trying to tie this back to a specific food because multiple things are going to get sliced on that slicer. In multiple, you know, in multiple times a day, and if it's not clean and sanitized well, we could create um, a harborage site for this in the slicer. Trying to figure out where the ultimate source is is, I mean, it's unless unless someone's got um, uh, data from a, a cheese processor or a um, deli meat uh, uh, processor, and that they throw those um, listeria monocytogenes isolates into PulseNet, and I don't think we'll ever find it. That's the only way that you'll ever go back to the original site. But it's like the Bluebell ice cream milkshake issue, right? So contamination yep. comes in on the product, but but poor practices um, in the serving and handling um, 
uh, m- makes this a much larger problem. And yeah, and you know, on the on that uh, uh, the milkshake mixers thing, um, I reviewed an article by some FDA scientists about listeria, and I, you know, they mended that statement again, and I called them out on it, and they said, well, apparently the milkshake mixers in these hospitals in Bluebell were easier to clean than the typical one, so I, I don't know, where, I don't know where we are with that, but anyway, um, uh, we're also going to link to the uh, uh, FDA uh, FSIS risk assessment because it's a great technical document, but also it contains one of my favorite figures ever, which I which I sent you a screenshot yes. of, and that's figure four. And this is this is what they have to do with this computer modeling, right? They have they have uh, multiple sources of listeria. They have multiple products that are being sold. They have multiple <clears throat> places that can either grow bacteria where bacteria can be removed or that can set up harborage or niche sites and then transmission. And it's just, it's a, so again, uh, I encourage you to take a look at the, uh, the link to the, uh, the risk assessment document and then scroll down to, um, about page 21, um, and look at figure four and it's just a, mar- a modeling marvel. I mean, it's really, it's really just really, really cool. So, um, Hey, um, I know we're running long, um, but I just got um, a really important um, um, message in my super secret uh, Ooh. text channel. Ooh, I'm excited. Um, from, from Alex Cox, okay? <sighs> and it says, Dr. Don Important, all in capital letters. Oh, we're here. After, we're okay, here for you. Af- yes, yeah, exactly. After you wash your hands in the bathroom and there are no paper towels, is it better to use a hand dryer thing or just use your relatively clean pants? Or, she goes on to say, what if there's no paper towels and a manual sink? Since you'd be touching a wet, dirty handle and walking out with wet hands, scooping up germs. Well, I suggest you don't scoop up germs, okay? But but, but I know what you could mean. Be, could um, be, yeah. Could be, yeah. Um, would it be better to have dirty but sanitary hands? Ben, your hot take. My hot take on this, and this is not going to be popular, Don. might be popular mm-hmm. with you, but it won't be popular with others. Um, I would take advantage of the friction on my dry clothing um, and wipe my hands there uh, and then know that I have hot pants um, at that point or, or a hot shirt. Um, and I, this, this is like question number number one. So I would not I, – I would avoid those air dryers because I don't think – because the friction's not there. Um, unless we're talking about a Dyson Airblade and then, or whatever the Airblades, you know, no, we, that wasn't a baked in, uh, advertisement. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, unless we're, we're using one of those like high friction, um, validated air blades, I'm, I'm using my, my hands on my pants, um, to deposit and the scooped up bacteria on my pants. Um, and, uh, and I'm doing that. In, in uh, scenario two, where I've got to turn the uh, faucet off, I'm turning the faucet off first, and then I'm taking all the poopy uh, finger juice and putting that on my, on my hot pants. What are you doing? Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, use friction from your clothes. Be aware that you now have possible hot pants, hot shirt. Um, yeah. Uh, wash, wa- use soap and water. Um, uh, turn off the handles. Uh, do the, the, the TEDx uh, shake your hands 12 times uh, video. Uh, we'll, we'll link to that. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, wipe, wipe on my uh, wipe. On. I, I, might u- I might use the hot air dryer. Um, but then ultimately, I, my hands are not going to be uh, dry from that. So I'm going to wipe them on my pants. Yep. Yep. Hot pants. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's real time follow up. That's like this. This is this might uh, might make it into the uh, into Dubai Friday this week. 
Uh, cool. Hey, I think uh, we, this has been we we owed owed the listeners uh, a long one. We're we're running two plus hours here, so think of this. Um, well, it's too late now. You got to the end, but think of this as a bit <coughs> harder. Um, if you want and listen to it in, in chunks, uh, and we won't even put that at the start. Uh, so you made it this long. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, we, we, we answered some of your questions. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Don? Um, I don't know. Um, or did we do all the listener feedback? We did all the, oh, no, no, there's, there's one more listener feedback that wasn't highlighted, but it was, uh, from deep new England. Um, and I think we'll just link to this because okay. it was a cool, really cool article that she sent us um, from – and I'd, I'd seen this a couple months ago as well. Uh, but it was uh, uh, linking oh, um, yes. Aztec deaths yep. to uh, salmonella from uh, a, you know, different, uh, different strain of salmonella that the Spanish brought from Europe, um, which is kind of which, which cool. So, I mean, similar to the smallpox um, and other pathogens, uh, it just shows – like how um, ge- geographically uh, and what your body is exposed to is really going to impact uh, immunity. And uh, just a, a cool article that um, that Deep New England shared with us. Yeah, and and so and this is this is uh, uh, and the art the article from Big Think is entitled DNA analysis may finally have revealed what killed 15 million Aztecs, but it's actually based on an article in Nature Ecology and Evolution, and we will we will link to both the popular press as well as the peer-reviewed article. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and and I I'm gonna um, t- the, what it made me think of. Uh, where is it? Here it is. I'm gonna. We'll link to this, which is if you're interested in this, the epidemiologists that listen to those show. There is a really cool paper um, that uh, came out right when I was just starting um, at the University of Guelph, um, and it it is entitled "Virocytogenic Escherichia coli infection in dairy farm families," um, and it was my. This was one that that was kind of my introduction to this concept of. Um, people that are around um, pathogens all the time will build immunity, and it, I think it just did a really great job of uh, of highlighting this um, in a in a real way uh, for me. And it was cool because it was all done um, at my uh, the institution where I have all my my uh, uh, training. And so the fecal samples from 335 dairy farm residents and 1,458 cattle on 80 farms were tested for VTEC. Um, and there was a lot of correlation between um, cows on the farm and people, and uh, then it goes into symptoms as well, and and how not everybody had symptoms, but then people still had um, antibodies to it. Whoa! So, yeah. so uh, what you're saying is uh, you should drink raw milk. Is that what you're saying? It, you should if you <laughs> live on a dairy farm and you want to have antibodies to, uh, um, in, in this case, uh, E. coli, you know, shigatoxin producing E. coli or, uh, virocytotoxin producing E. coli, then do that. But know that, um, people will get sick and, uh, maybe not out of all the 335 dairy farm residents. Maybe there was like 336 or 337 that got exposed. <laughs> and a couple whatever of them it takes. It. Yeah. Three, <laughs> yeah. Three, three, 36, 337, whatever it takes. Ah, uh, good job. So anyway, that's what what that's what may, um, Deep New England sharing that article made me think of. Yes, that. yes. So thanks, thanks for that deep ne and um, yeah, and you know this is a long episode, but you hadn't had one in a while because uh, I've been in France. So yeah. uh, you know, suck it up. Listen to it in two parts if you don't like uh, episodes that are two hours and sixteen minutes long. Yeah. 
just just like just like Kanye. You know, sometimes <laughs> I'm in France. Uh, you know who else lives? I, I think he lives in France. Uh, I think the, some of the Kardashians are there. Did you see them? No, I didn't. I didn't. I heard. I thought I saw Michelle Obama was there. Well, that's cool. Yeah, she's my. Apparently, favorite. she was she was drinking a glass of wine uh, while uh, the Notre Dame burned. I, oh, I, I, you know, occasionally I, that's I very dip, evil. I dip, that's very like, my, uh, like Dr. Evil style. You know, I, Ben, I'm obsessed with the QAnons. Um, and sometimes I click on, uh, Twitter, uh, responses that I shouldn't. And, uh, yeah, I waste a lot of time yeah. sometimes. So it's bad. It is. It is. Um, well, um, I think that's a show. All right. All right. Uh, so uh, download, listen. Um, oh, also, just uh, like we do at the end of every podcast, um, our guest <laughs> next uh, next podcast will be uh, Linda Harris. Um, Linda, please call us. Uh, let us know uh, if you're available uh, to be on the podcast. So, uh, yep. and just and, the listeners know she's never called us. She's never, yeah, yeah never once. We're, and we'll also say Gordon Hayburn. Um, yeah. This is your invitation. Yep. And and you know what. Uh, we'll extend. This is a, a blast from the past for us. But someone else who really desperately wanted to be on the podcast, and we invited him a couple of times, but couldn't get it to work. Uh, PC Vasavada, um, yep. PC, if you're, we'd love to have you on. Uh, if you listen to the after uh, show, After Dark, um, and uh, you, you know, just shoot us a message if you're available. Yeah. Oh, and you know, the other thing too, I have to talk about this because I don't, you probably saw that I've been tweeting. So Marco Arment, who is the the programmer who created uh, Overcast, which is the sort of the default uh, uh, podcast app that that I use and you use and many of our friends use, um, has a new feature where you can uh, highlight a clip from a show. So if you're listening to a podcast and you want to like highlight up to one minute of text. So we could theoretically um, uh, highlight that clip and then send it to Linda and Gordon and PC, nah. but we probably won't do that. Someone else can do that. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. We're busy. We're busy podcasting. We're bu- yeah, yeah. We we were not making we're not making clips of our own podcast. That's what <laughs> that's not what Overcast was for. <laughs> well, we could, but well, we could, we could, <laughs> we could. Uh, awesome. All right. Uh, well, I uh, will uh, chat with you soon, Don. Always good to get you back in the uh, out of the province and into the continent uh, here. Yep. Yep. Um, Something and, like that. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. glad. Uh, Glad you cruised and uh, cruised back to Can- to uh, cruise back to Canada. To Canada, yeah. Rolling back. <laughs> hey, I was in Canada. I was in. I was over Nova Scotia. I I, the, I have the 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 map, the plane, the flying, and the places in the Canada. I was yeah. there. I was over the Canada. Well, that's good. I'm I'm happy with that. Uh, I was also uh, in Canada while you were gone uh, for for a day. Uh, and what I was trying to do is make a a, a reference to. The, the greatest Guess Who song, uh, which is Running Back to Saskatoon. <laughs> but, I, uh-huh. but I couldn't make it work. So oh, uh, anyway, I'm glad you, you're running back to Saskatoon. Uh, all right, Don. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. All right. Bye-bye.
Ran Marathon. Running, running Back to Saskatoon is a song written by Burton Cummings and Kurt Winter. Yeah, it's uh, um, uh, also covered when uh, Pearl Jam went to uh, uh, Canada. They did a Cross Canada oh, tour. Oh, yeah, see that. Eddie Vedder. And it's awesome. A- Eddie Vedder admittedly messed up the lyrics. He did. The song did. during the first run through. Yep. But it was, it's a great, it's a great song. Uh, there you go. We'll, 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 so I, I'm, we'll link to the Wikipedia page and we'll, we'll find, we'll find it on YouTube. Yep. It's uh, not, that is the only popular music song with Saskatoon in its title. I think it's gotta be. Um, all right. Okay. So April 29th. Okay. So you're, cause I know not, not to compromise your OPSEC, but I know you're going to be away again. And what time? What time are you leaving on the thirteenth? Because um, we did discuss this in an yes, earlier. We discussed call. this in an earlier call. Is, it was not we, on the podcast. Yeah, are we able to record, or is a better time to record um, sometime on May tenth or 9th, which I know is short. It's next week sometime, but um, <clears throat> so uh, oh, ninth. Um, yes, the ninth is good. Let's do the ninth. So I've got a, um, I I will I'm gonna temp, I'm gonna let's hold let's hold the morning. I've I've got uh, something going on at two p.m. I also, Danny's got a show that weekend here in Raleigh that I think I might need to help her load stuff in. I just don't know when. So let me. I'm gonna text her while we're talking. Okay. So, but yeah. So I have a. I have a uh, college faculty meeting, which I'm I'm not going to go to now because I've got to record a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So nine o'clock uh, on the ninth is what we're penciling in. Yeah. Um, let's do nine nine fifteen because if I got to drop a kid off, yep, I can drop him off at nine and get here and set up. Um, FST one eighty one one eighty two. 180, 181, 182, whatever it takes. Talk. I have to go to our. I don't have a good way to. Oh no, I know where it is. Next. Sorry, I'm just talking to myself now. Uh, that was 181, so we were doing 182. All right. Perfect. Um, yeah, so we'll go 9, 9 a.m. or 9.15, um, and then let me. I may change this. Oh, okay. Ah, even better. So I just got in real-time follow-up from the lovely Danielle so mm-hmm. that she thinks she needs my help on Wednesday, the 8th. Oh. So that's even – that's perfect. Better. Because I can do any the, – the ninth is not a factor for us. For me. Cool. Which is really good. Okay. Let's cool. do that. Done. What is that? Is that running back to Saskatoon? <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, Nice. All right, we'll, well, we'll stop that. So anyway, yeah, that was just – I've just got that going in the background there. We'll have to pay copyright probably. Yeah, well, just like we do to Mr. Young. Yeah, Mr. Young. <clears throat> All the Canadian artists. Also, uh, we may – we probably qualify for Canadian content. Our podcast could, could be on <laughs> – Does that save us money? Uh, I think it means that we get preferential uh, – um, if someone, if a radio station in Canada was to uh, play just podcasts, which makes tons of sense, that, <laughs> that we would uh, we would meet the uh, Maple designation of um, Maple song and lyrics, which we have neither of those, uh, could be co-written by uh, a Canadian, and we would uh, we would make it in because I think that's music artists. 
production and lyrics is what MAPLE stands for. And to be Canadian content, you have to meet two of those four uh, designations have to be done by or co-done by a Canadian. That's very funny how they made Maple stand for something. Oh, we don't we don't mess around, Don. We've got we've got some some very smart uh, um, uh, acronym people. <laughs> We're known so, for acronyms. What, what does it stand for again? Music, uh, music, artist, production, lyrics. It's called it's can can con, Canadian content. Let's see if we can find Canadian content Wikipedia. Jump to the maple. Um, it's got a, I'll send you a, a podcast on this because I listened to one recently. <laughs> so it was, yeah, there it is. Music, artist, performance, not pro, not production, performance and lyrics. So if we if we actually had music, um, I oh we wouldn't fall. No, no, no. I thought it was co. So we we're, there's no way we'll qualify. The music is composed entirely by a Canadian. The music is or the lyrics are performed principally by a Canadian. Uh, performance uh, is recorded wholly in Canada or performed wholly in Canada, and the lyrics oh, are written by entirely by Canadian. I can't. We can't claim any of this stuff. Well, well you you write half the lyrics for the podcast, right? But it's we perform it wholly in the United States. Yeah. Um, uh, we have no music. Uh, performed fifty percent by a Canadian, and there's no well. And the music, it's it's only it's, it's only, only guess who and Neil Young. So a hundred percent, hundred percent by go. Canadians that we don't pay to license. So yeah. 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 So um, oh, and it's Maple. It's not really Maple. It's oh, Maple. Uh, I'm sorry. It's it's referred to as Maple. Uh, sure, Maple. It's a long. It's yep. a. It's like uh, it's, it's like pasta, not pasta. <laughs> uh, that's just how we do it. Uh, yeah, so this is how uh, the Canadian music industry was created, basically, by um, huh. in the 1970s. Uh, I think it was 30% of what was broadcast had to. Oh, yeah. Um, so where was it? It started at 25% in 1971. It was increased to 30% in the 80s. Um, and uh, any commercial radio station license since 1999 has to be 40%. <laughs> That's how we pro- that's how we protect ourselves, non non tariff trade barriers for the. the Canadian Do you think movie. anybody's still listening? No, no one no one cares. No one cares at all. I find this fascinating, and I will link to a, a Canadian content history and new music podcast. All right, um, all right. So we got our time. We know what we're doing. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. And I've got this one right. You did the last one. You did. Yep. This is uh, this is an odd one. Yep. So okay. Well, if you shoot me the uh, uh, well, I, the or just generate the text uh, uh, links, I should be able to get this done this afternoon. Sounds good. And I got a whole bunch of titles which I'm going to text you right now. Cool. And I was texting you a few of them. Yeah. I think I got all the ones that you got. Um, most of them were from the beginning, but there's a there's a there's a I think that's probably we got to go with the, the the last one on that list. It's pretty good. It so. is that is a good one. Okay, yeah, the listeners by the time they they hear this, they'll know that we, what we selected. But I agree. I think that's a good one. All right. <laughs> yes, this is this is we're being secretive for people that have listened all the way to the and, podcast and downloaded so it. Don't know the title, and they've seen the title because it's it's appeared in in Overcast for them for the last two hours and twenty minutes. <laughs> so 
if you if you are one of the few listeners who uh, prefers spoiler who fast who, who fast forwards to the uh, the end of the podcast to listen to the after dark, uh, just so you without looking at the title without looking at the title, then then we we're we're no spoilers no spoilers. No spoilers. Uh, uh, and I saw Avengers Endgame, and I won't spoil that for oh. anybody either. It was awesome. I was it liked was, it. Good. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, it was it was definitely all that was uh, hyped to be. I really really enjoyed it. I I like I like the superheroes, and I and I thanks to um, uh, Dubai Friday, I referred to uh, going to see Avengers Endgame as going to see Vengies. Yep, I loved it. Went and saw the Vengies. All right. Uh, well, just just so that you know, um, we have. Uh, let me find it. We have. Uh, an alternative take um, from friend of the podcast, uh, Dr. Critter, and she says, um, "Oh my God, there's so much text. I, you know, I don't know if you, I'm working on a grant, Ben. Um, oh my gosh, where is it? I know, I know, she was she she couldn't work on the grant because she had to go take her kid to see the movies. Benji's. What did she say? Oh my God, it's in here somewhere. She, anyway, she didn't think it was that great. Her kid liked it." Uh, I'm yeah, I'm more like a ten year old kid. Than... Oh yeah, I uh, I wasn't impressed. I w- <laughs> is what is what is her review. Um, oh oh wait, and then and she said her son liked it, but there was way too much talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's, maybe he should, he should listen to our our podcast. <laughs> He's because I think that it's a good podcast, but they should have more fighting. They should have more. And in fact, and in fact, Dr. Critter's response is probably the same. Like she wasn't impressed, but he liked the podcast, but it should be less talking. Uh, that's perfect. That's a good review. I mean, that might get up on iTunes. Uh, all right. All right, Don. Uh, I think that's it. I don't have anything else for you. All right. Well, I'll, so I'll get you these uh, links uh, to show notes uh, real soon here. Perfect. Oh, did you know we could do – this is new in Skype. Do mm. you know you can do things like this? Did you see that I changed my – Oh, um, wait. Um, no. Emoji. Um, emoji. I went to – I gave to give you a thing where I'm laughing. Did you oh, see that? No, see? I, I'm, not, I'm not even looking at uh, – I'm just looking at the little uh, little Skype window. Um, in the big Skype window, it's got my like na- – I don't know what happens, but I can change. There's emojis now. There's like a – Thumbs up, a laugh. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, oh, I'm, wait. Um, oh, yes. I, Look at that. I'm ready now to fight. Yeah, think. whoa. Look at that. I'm, I'm you're sad. sad. How did you do that? I, down. Oh, you love me. Oh, Ben. Yeah, I do. There's over on the bottom. Oh, oh, there. Yeah. It's got a little oh, heart. Oh, oh, there you go. All, you did there's it. Only, there's, only, yeah, there's, only, there's only a few. All right. Well, okay. That's okay. Oh, my gosh. This is crazy. Who knew? You're, wow! I can I can now send you emojis in, in in this. I can, this is so stupid. I could never think of a reason to do this. No, zero. Uh, no. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks. Right. Thanks, Skype, for updating. All right. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.